the blast from our past network. Hey everyone, co-host Corey here. I just wanted to take a quick second and say thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. Without you, podcasting after dark would not be possible. If you would like to help the show grow, please consider signing up at patreon.com slash podcasting after dark. You can also support the show by purchasing one of our awesome t-shirt designs on our merch store at podcastingafterdark.com or by picking up a copy of Seven Winters Alone by David Irons on paperback, hardback, or Kindle. Just search for Seven Winters Alone on Amazon or click on the link in the show notes. A free way to help out is to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Those reviews are huge for us and really helps get the show in front of new listeners. Again, thank you all so much for the love and support you've given us over these past few years. It really means the world to us. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. Starring Alan Ormsby, Paul Cronin, and Jane Daly. When you think of childhood trauma, well, for me, I'll have to put this movie at the top or close to it. Welcome, everybody, to another Podcasting After Dark PG episode. Uh, Not Psycho Gorman, but PG in rating. (laughs) I am one half of the pad team. Sweet, sexy Z, Zach the Snack, whatever rhymes at the time. And joining me, as always, is my beautiful, and I haven't said this in a while, my beautiful, bodacious co-host, Corey Sleazy C. What's happening, brother? Oh, man. I am excited to finally getting a chance to talk about Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. You've been talking about this movie for so long and it's 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 finally here, guys and gals. It's finally here, and I am chomping at the bit to talk about it. Well, about a year ago, was it about a year ago? We did a PG uh, episode, I believe, or you I think, did. I think or the I car, did. the car was PG. Yeah, yeah. And I was gonna follow up mine. Something happened. It didn't happen the way I think I expected it. And then word on the DVD, Blue Dawn of the Disc Instagram site. Shout out to them. Uh, that children shouldn't play with dead things was coming out. I'm like, oh, that's the one I want to do. So I waited on that one and waited, waited, and it finally came out in, I think, December. And it's a year. 50th anniversary edition Blu-ray. Wow. Yeah, and there's a 4K, but let's be honest, guys. Like, <laughs> do you really need a 4K of this movie? <laughs> no offense, you know? It's like the, oh, I got the 4K of Night of the Living Dead. Oh, it's so great. It's got all the, you, you never seen the picture so good. Yeah, but that was kind of the point. Like it's, you don't, it's not supposed to be like you could just walk into the movie. It's, it's supposed to be a little grainy and all that stuff. And I would have said the same thing up until last Saturday when I watched Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark with my nephew, Um, my eight year old nephew. He very much enjoyed it. Although 
he didn't quite understand the stakes because he didn't quite, you know, un- know Nazis and stuff like that. So I had to kind of give him a very brief, like, they were very bad, yada, yada, Let me yada. tell you something, kid. <laughs> but here's the thing. I thought it was going to be on Disney+. Plus. It's not. It's on Paramount+, Plus, which I actually don't have, um, okay. which makes sense but doesn't make sense because Disney should own it. Um, so I popped in my yeah. DVD, and I was like, sure, I have the DVD box set of all three of them. No big deal. It's going to look great. Wrong wrong looked like fucking shit do you remember when dvd was like cutting edge technology i was just talking to aaron gilmer about this from manic movie monday podcast that the the quality of dvds like you when it first came out dvds you've never seen a picture quite like it and now we're like DVDs. You never want to see a picture quite like that ever again. So it looked <laughs> ever like ever again. So now I'm like, well, fuck it. I guess I'll go and buy maybe go buy Raiders on 4K or something like that. And to the 4K, yeah. you know, discussion. I don't tend to double dip Blu-ray to 4K, but if I don't have the Blu-ray already, I'll get the 4K of it. Like I just picked up um, Event Horizon 4K and Texas Chainsaw Massacre 4K because I didn't have either of them on Blu-ray. Um, but I don't yeah. think I'll upgrade something that I already have on Blu-ray to 4K. I, I agree, but I, I think I was talking to Lee Germani about this. Uh, shout out to Lee. He was like, if it's, I don't really, I don't have any 4Ks because I don't have a 4K player uh, at the moment. But um, but Blu-ray, Blu-ray's fine, dude. In fact, this particular movie, Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things, looks pretty damn good on Blu-ray, and the D- and the Blu-ray is stacked with a bunch of extras, uh, including like a 90-minute documentary, et cetera, et cetera. VCI put it out. VCI is a very small boutique company. I'm surprised, to be honest, that they're still around. I think at this point they're kind of just repurposing their their catalog, which is totally fine. I think they were the ones also who put out um, the Scarecrow movie as well that we did. Oh, yeah, the, yeah, Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. Okay. Yeah, so support those small businesses and uh, buy this because it's, it's totally worth it. Uh, children shouldn't play with dead things. I'll get into my laundry list of why my history with it but Corey, what's your history with children shouldn't play with dead things uh hearing about it from you that's pretty much it wow <laughs> I, wow I, i've heard about it. i had heard of it before you I'd yeah seen yeah the, yeah the vhs in in the store and everything like that but uh never never dove into it so everything i know i know from you um and you were never you never like you don't never told me sort of the story about it or whatever you just i just knew you liked it so i didn't really want to watch it or know much about it until we covered it because i knew you were going to bring it to the table one of these days so and i think i even knew at one point it was in my stack so if i know it's in my stack I, and I haven't seen it. I'm not going to even like watch the trailer. I'm going to go in cold my first viewing. Wow, that's 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 amazing. Well, it's not a surprise that you haven't seen it because I feel like it's a very much a cult film um, in the truest cult sense, where not it's not it doesn't have a wide range of an audience. Growing up in Detroit as a young kid, uh, you know, from zero to eight. We had Thriller TV on TV 20, and in fact, that was the inspiration for the intro to our show uh, because Saturdays they had Creature Feature Saturdays, and then they would do a double feature, I think, sometimes as well. Maybe it was all the time. I, re- I don't recall. But the intro to the show uh, was the, the, the part of uh, Whole Lot of Love where just Robert Plant's going, huh? 
<laughs> and they looped it, and there's and they use that sound with the zombie scene at the end of this movie where they're rising from the graves okay. and in slow motion, and it was so freaky, so intense for a young child. It it gave me night terrors during the day, and it was so <laughs> scary. When I finally did see this movie when I was probably seven or eight years old, uh, I I don't remember the first three quarters of the movie. I just remember the last last quarter, and it terrified me and stayed with me to this day. Watching it again, uh, I watched this movie three times, actually. Two for funsies, to quote Corey. I watched it twice just for fun because I loved it so much. I was re- it just took me back to being a kid again, watching a really wacky film that in no way should be a PG movie. In no, no way no. whatsoever. In tone, uh, in subject matter, in you know even though the special effects are uh, low budge, uh, it, it's still horrific at times and downright creepy at the end. So. This is not a PG movie, guys. This is not a movie for kids no, at all. No, not a, children shouldn't watch. Children shouldn't play with dead things. No, no. <laughs> and then when you and then I didn't realize until just now, uh, the past week, breaking this movie down, uh, how this is truly an indie film. It's a, it's a low budget indie film made by a bunch of friends who went on to continue to work together for you know a few more pictures. And it's a labor of love. And also, this film influenced so many other movies moving forward. Talking about Return of the Living Dead. Talking about Lucio Fulci's Zombie. uh, Talking about maybe Dawn of the Dead, perhaps, or Day of the Dead. But, like, so many zombie movies moving forward, you could clearly tell were influenced by this. And I I think that's why this film deserves a revisit deserves a appreciation whether it's a flawless film or not whether it's a good film or not is beside the point it's one of those movies that people go back well if it hadn't been for this movie we wouldn't have had that movie and i think those are the movies that we need to cherish and and champion i completely agree with you and i see uh, the Return of the Living Dead uh, having influence or being influenced by this film, uh, especially, you know, kind of like the tonalness of it. Like, uh, I don't think that's a word, tonalness, but the tone sure. <laughs> of sure. the movie. It, it walks the line between comedy and horror. Like, the stakes are real, but sometimes there's humor in in some maybe the de- a death or there's maybe humor with the characters or something. There's always this, like, baseline humor going on, even when the the zombies and and uh, you know are kind of scary and and they're doing their thing and killing people but yeah i can see that i can totally see how return of the living dead be influenced by this and yeah other things too especially zombie and whatnot uh i'd um, say zombie only from the perspective of the boat yeah uh yeah. and and then the island yep yep i, and... I saw that as well because I'm a, I'm a big zombie fan uh love fulci and uh yeah i thought the exact same thing but again Keep in mind, guys and gals, this is 1972. This movie came out in 1972. So it's old. It's 50th anniversary. Right now, we're 51 years, essentially, out. Well, uh, Night is 68, right? Night of Living Dead is 68. I think this is the, the, the next zombie movie that came out in the zombie chronological order. And it's interesting because... 
the zombies in this, they don't technically run. They're not as running, like, as fast as, like, Dawn of the Dead remake, but they're also faster than Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, and Day of the Dead. So it's, like, it's almost as if, like, you know, George Romero hadn't really solidified the tone yet of zombies. No. And these guys and gals, uh, undead guys and gals, they move pretty briskly. And, you know, you don't really know if they're eating people or if they're just killing them for the sake of killing them. But I like that. I like that they just, they're going to kill you no matter what. You know, maybe they're fucking angry. You don't know. The cool thing is there's no answers in here. And that's what that's what's fun about it. I have some theories, though, and we'll get into that as well. Uh, but before anyone jumps the gun and goes, oh, but what about this movie? Uh, Living Dead at Manchester Morgue, uh, a.k.a. Let Sleeping Corpses Lie, came out in 1974. Yeah. And I believe that was the next horror film, horror zombie film to come out before dawn of the dead which i think was what 79 or something and then yeah uh 78 maybe and then uh zombie was soon after that yeah so yeah so we're looking at like a, a really early film um so, real, I, sorry I want, side note real quick i personally adore living dead at manchester morgue that, i know you do I, that's why i brought it up <laughs> that's a movie that i actually did buy on 4k uh, this last this past Christmas because Myra and I watched it on Shutter and I was like oh man it's as good as I remember I was like I need to own it when yep. and we have to cover it well we will one day cover it on on podcasting after dark yeah if y'all want to see a very decent um, underground indie horror film from you know the left side of the pond or right side or wherever the fuck uh, definitely check out that one definitely. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. But this film, uh, behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, is a who's who of talent, uh, starting with the director and one of the writers, Bob Clark. Rest in peace, Bob Clark. Who we covered uh, well, with we, uh, the, our Black Christmas episode. Yeah, if you don't know who Bob Clark is, then um, stop listening to our show. Just kidding. <laughs> Write us a five-star review, then stop listening to our show. Um, he, you know, besides Black Christmas and A Christmas Story and Porky's and <clears throat> Baby Geniuses, um, which actually is not that bad, he is a horror director. Besides Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things and Black Christmas, obviously, Death Dream is a fantastic horror film as well if you've never seen that go see it um and i just i adore that film and i would actually like to bring that to the table down the road but he directed rhinestone he directed <laughs> turk 182 from the hip loose cannons uh, a, a bunch of 80s movies that we we love not or not love, but we at least watch them on a regular basis thanks to HBO and Cinemax back in the day. Yeah, and word on the street is he was possibly developing a sequel slash maybe remake reboot of Children Shouldn't Play With the Dead Things um, before he unfortunately was killed by a drunk driver on the PCH uh, back in 2007. Yeah, don't drink and drive. No. I'll just leave it at that. And that was like uh, midday too. Like that's really Jesus. Fucked up. It's really 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 messed up um flip side alan ormsby not only stars in this film as alan um <laughs> but he he's a, he's the writer he also did the special effects or the makeup effects in this film and his screenplay credits include cat people yep porky's 2 my bodyguard which is a, a, a favorite of mine and dustin's on two dollar late fee uh popcorn. touch and go Popcorn, popcorn, starring Jill Sholin, and uh, actually, Popcorn is a very underrated horror film. 
I know it has its that. fans. I've I've seen a lot of them online. I I haven't seen that one. Um, I almost I think I almost picked up the Blu-ray on sale, but I'd already spent like a hundred dollars on like <laughs> Blu-rays. I was like, eh, I can't. You know, you should go. You should watch it. Uh, at least if it's on Shutter, watch it. Watch it there. Okay. Uh, um, but he, okay, so he he wrote a lot of screenplays, but one movie in particular that we may get to down the road scared the shit out of me from 1974 actually next to that film with uh gosh donald sutherland and julie christie don't look now uh, that that shocking finale this movie might have one of the shockingest scenes for me like ever uh deranged confessions of a necrophile from 1974 he wrote that and co-directed it along with um jeff gillen but it is based on Ed Gein. And you talked about it on The Carpenter Factor when we discussed Christine because Robert's Blossom is in it, and you mentioned Deranged, uh, how much you loved that. Um, okay, so now we're getting, uh, it's coming around sort of like full circle and everything. Interesting. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. The The film is, it's slow-paced. Um, it's, it's, you know, not perfect, but oh my God, is it, creepy as hell and there's one again one scene in particular that to this day i still like shudder when i'm watching it i get shocked and he also did the special effects on a movie that you and i watched together shockwaves shockwaves i enjoyed that movie dude i another pg movie that i think we should down the road bring to pad because it's i love that movie and as a kid i was scared of that movie poster but yet i would always look at it like the vhs cover i'd like look at it and like ah, and i sort of put it back and then kind of like sneak back at it you know it was it's an yeah. awesome awesome uh, uh movie poster with those uh soggy zombies sort of s- coming out of the water and picking up that the boat and everything yeah, Nazi zombies. Yep. Gosh, yeah. If you guys haven't seen that, go watch that one, and we'll get to that down the road. I love that movie. Yeah, directed by the guy who directed uh, Return of the Living Dead Part Two. Oh yeah, that's right. Oh my gosh, there are all these connections. Yeah, we're right. We're doing quite a spider web right now, aren't we? We sure are. But when we get to the cast, we'll probably stop at that point. <laughs> it'll it'll peter out a bit. <laughs> yeah, because you know we're not a fan of uh, no headshots on IMDb, and this one is filled with it. Yeah. Yeah, I was doing the intro for this, and I'm like, well. You know, really, in my opinion, Alan, uh, Paul, and Terry are kind of like the f- main characters in this. Yeah. Out of the three. Um, unfortunately, Paul doesn't have a head, uh, uh, IMDb picture. But Alan Ormsby does. His picture is, he's still alive, by the way, and he uses the picture from Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. So it tells you how much he loves this movie. <laughs> uh, Val Momchus Mom- plays yeah. Val. Uh, I'm kind of maybe going to insert a new rule here is if they don't have a headshot and they're not super memorable, I'm not going to like talk about their IMDb. I mean, she, her character is memorable, but yeah, she's, she's done two movies. Like it's like this and, um, Wanda and, and that's it. Yeah. So let's, but yeah, 1970s Wanda. So there you go. There we go. Uh, and Jeff I don't know Gillen. why yeah, I thought oh. Terry and Paul should have had the, the second and third billing after Alan. Yeah. I don't understand why they don't, but doesn't make sense to me uh but they imdb does that they're famous for that like why oh lethal weapon starring mel gibson and tom adkins oh and danny glover <laughs> exactly. i'm kidding they don't do that but I'm, you know i'm exaggerating uh jeff gillen plays 
Jeff. And and you would know him as Santa Claus from A Christmas Story, the one that goes, ho, 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 and kind of pushes him down. But yeah, that's, yeah. yeah he played the, played, yep. So. Wow, that's cool. Okay, okay. That's, I mean, that's, that's something that's worth noting. And I really like his character in this movie with, I peed myself. I peed my pants. I love that. What does he say? Does he even have a, a dry pamper? Yeah, I think you're going to have to be saying that through this whole episode. <laughs> I peed my pants. I peed my I pants. I peed my pants. I love that scene. I thought he was great. I thought Jeff was yeah. hilarious in this. Jeff, give me an ABC. I peed my pants. I peed my pants. <laughs> I peed my pants. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. Um, and Anya Ormsby, uh, who is actually the, the former wife of Alan Ormsby, plays Anya. And it makes sense why she's making goo-goo eyes the whole time at Alan. <laughs> yes, it does. That's his uh, wife. Um, she was apparently, she had a role in uh, Alien Nation, uh, the TV show, for an episode. Oh, cool. <laughs> we love that show. <laughs> we Listen do. to TV Obscura where we talk about Alien Nation. Uh, Paul Cronin plays Paul. <laughs> Paul Paul Cronin plays Paul with the frizziest fro I've ever seen. And, and guys and gals... This thing, this movie was shot in like Florida, so like everybody, I'm sure it was shot during the summer. In between, I think everyone met at uh, Florida State uh, University, um, or or is it University of Florida? Uh, yep, sorry, it's University of Florida. That's where um, Alan Ormsby and uh, Bob Clark met and everything like that. But you can tell by how frizzy everybody's hair is, guy and girl, that it's the dead fucking humid summer of fucking florida man it had to have been a nightmare nightmare and his necklace is not doing him any favors no either no his choker necklace of like various rainbow beads it's cute <laughs> but not sexy um jane daly plays terry terry yeah the only one in the whole movie that doesn't have the same name that her first She's name like, is I do not want to be called jane but she's also the one that's probably been working the most since, like up till today. Oh, like literally today. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Yeah, no, she's great. And um, uh, the 70s when we didn't wear bras. Yes. My goodness. Yes. It was. She is. She's up there with Sally from Texas Chainsaw Massacre of just the, the most amazing brawless wonders I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm just gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go four more characters, and because everyone else is is a zombie. Uh, Roy Engelman plays Roy, <laughs> <laughs> and Robert Phillip plays Emerson. This is his only movie, so <laughs> yeah. And then Alex Baird plays the caretaker. Okay. I was like, what? What's his name? Because at one point, Alan refers to the caretaker, I think, by a specific name. Uh, but then that doesn't track later. So uh, there's a few things that don't track later on. Well, you know what doesn't track is that um, IMDb lists Orville, the corpse, as Oral, O-U-R-I-L-L-E, where when yeah. her name, when his name is Orville, and it's actually on the tombstone, it says Orville. Come on, come IMDb, on. Come and on. come on, Alan, get on that. Get on IMDb. You can go fix that. It's your movie. You know you're proud of that baby. Uh, yeah, so Orville plays is played by Seth Scarly. Man, what a great performance by him. Actually, in fact, everyone that plays a zombie in this 
does a really great job, in my opinion. Yeah, and he's fun. I, I like Orville. I think he's cool. I think he's really cool. He looks because he looks cool, and that's and that's what you need because for the most of the movie, he's kind of lifeless and he's doing stuff, but there's still a cool look to him. Like I like the way he looks. Well, I believe um, Bob Clark and Alan Armsby reused some of the techniques like the zombie type makeup in death dream reused it because one of the zombies is using like the same contacts i think that he has in that okay um death dream ranks up there in my opinion with soul survivor as far as being like very uh spacey uh and, and and quiet atmospheric i think is a good way to put it but the the zombie makeup in this looks to me like return of the living dead uh except you know with the exception of like more of the standout ones like the the half corpse or the tar man a lot of the zombies look like this from from this so and and then also michael jackson's thriller you know just rising up out of the grave and everything. this is, feels like they they watched this and they totally lifted it you know from this movie yeah and i mean it makes sense too when you think about it because Back in the 80s and everything, there was only, you know, X amount of zombie movies out there. And I'm sure a lot of times they were like, let's go to the beginning. And then you go to the beginning, you have like Night of the Living Dead. You have this, maybe a handful of other things, but that's kind of it. So, like, I can see how this would be influential back then. You know, and it might have gotten, you know, forgotten about now. But I don't think that it's it's the ten it's tendrils have have completely rotted away because i do think it's still felt and i do think people still probably remember this movie fondly you know in in a lot of circles in hollywood yeah so let's uh let's fondle the the children sorry 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 let's uh bad choice of words there (laughs) you've gotten us canceled (laughs) (laughs) let's fun let's have some fun with children shouldn't play with dead things This is Alan. He's such a dear boy. (laughs) Oh, this is Jeffy. He's so full of fun. (laughs) Oh, this is Anya. Isn't she just the sweetest thing? (laughs) And this is their new friend, Smedley. They're giving him a party. It is coming out party. Oh, the children are having such fun. They're laughing and laughing. And it all began here, one foggy winter's evening. 1971. He ought to be ripe. It's party time. It's the shank of the evening. My friend Orville and I are having cocktails in ten minutes at my island cottage. Alan, you're not really going to take that thing back to the cottage. I, Alan, take this body. Yeah, and welcome to it. You deserve everything you're getting. (laughs) There's no business like show business like... And I think, in time, we may get even closer. I'm going to take your scraps and feed them to my dog. That's all right. Just keep a stiff upper lip. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. 
wish they had such a wonderful time. They laughed and laughed and laughed. That is, until Orville's friends dropped in. Then they screamed and screamed. such a lovely time. It's too bad nobody ever told them children shouldn't play with dead things. <laughs> All right, the movie opens with no title, like no production logo or anything like that, just a straight-up title card. Um, great neon font. Really cool. I, part of me was like, was this done after the fact? But it's really good looking. The the neon green uh, credits that roll. Neon slime, baby. Neon totally. Slime. <laughs> yeah. And I love it. My my first note is a cool ass title card, man. I dig it. And throughout this whole first part, um, it almost kind of like. It's kind of like, uh, uh, I don't want to say it's like Prince of Darkness because it doesn't go as long as, as that. But we do have a pretty long opening that keeps getting intercut with the credits and everything. And Zach will walk us through it all. But I like how the whatever the scene is, it'll pause while the credits are on it. And usually it pauses for some kind of like emphasis or something. And, and I, dug, I dug the hell out of it. And the second thing I'm just going to say, blanket right at the top. I love the fact that they filmed this at night. And they, they didn't do day for night. And yes, sometimes you can't always see a lot, but I am a fan of that. I love actual night shots where you don't have everything lit, you know, by giant fucking tungstens or something. Uh, and I hate day for night. So this is awesome. Right out of the gate, I can't see shit. I can't see the boat. I can't barely see them getting off of it, but I love it, you know? Yeah, yeah, there's going to be some times in the first maybe 20 minutes of this movie where there's some dialogue from from the female actors, and I'm not sure if it's Val, I'm not sure if it's Terry, uh, so I apologize if I mixed up the characters when I get to that point, but that's because it's so dark, and they're kind of walking together, and they're mumbling the lines, and it's hard to hear. Again, this is like, this is a student, almost, almost like, well, this is uh, like John Carpenter's um dark star you know and and if you want to listen to what we thought about dark star go sign up for our patreon <laughs> carpenter factor exclusively on our patreon podcasting after dark or patreon slash podcasting after dark patreon 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 go sign up it's <laughs> worth it um yeah we talked this is bob clark's dark star yeah. you know it's his first experimental movie this is thx 136 or whatever the hell that movie is um you guys know what i'm talking about anyways first movie student film ish he's still probably still in college or right out of college so uh you know uh yeah so the movie opens with the the crickets chirping uh we're taken to this island and on the island we see this caretaker walking around he's startled suddenly when he sees someone walking around in a graveyard on this island 
And he says, good Lord, I think that one's alive. (laughs) This is, and again, like Corey said, Bob Clark does this really cool thing where in between certain scenes, he'll pause the scene, show some credits. Sometimes it's longer. There's no rhyme or reason at times because it'll go longer than other scenes. Um, but it's, but he'll slow down a scene in slow motion. It's very cool. It's very experimental. I think. Yeah. The caretaker walks towards the ghoul, puts his hand on top of the ghoul. And after he puts his hand on the ghoul's shoulder, the ghoul turns and looks at him and screams at him with his freaky face and fangs. And that's when you get the title card of children shouldn't play with dead things. It is so intense and it's so loud. It's so loud that my dog who was sleeping on me at the time when I was watching it, jumped up and started barking at the TV because it was so intense. <laughs> yeah, I had to turn the volume down uh, later when the zombies were coming out because it was crazy. But I love the music, though. I thought the music was very good. So creepy. It's so creepy. It has elements of Texas Chainsaw Massacre where it's like, the, you feel like maybe they're playing like a, you know, a, a, a saw or something to get this weird wah-wah effect. It's very creepy. Yeah, it's 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 like, yeah, it's very experimental. It's very interesting. Um, the music was done by Carl Zittrer, Z-I-T-T-R-E-R. Um, he also did the music for Black Christmas. Um, he did some supervising music on New Jack City. Um, oh, cool. And he also did the the soundtrack for Prom Night, 1980s Prom Night, which I'm not Interesting. a big fan it, of. Um, Interesting. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, the music in this, it's different. It's jarring. It's in your face, but it's on purpose, and I dig it. Yeah, me too. Me too. Other than that, there's no music yeah. in between the shocking scenes. So the scene freezes on his on the ghoul's face then the scene goes back to normal and you see the ghoul grabbing the caretaker shoving him down to the ground caretakers yelling you cut to a bloody hand dripping over a gravestone cross it's a it's a it's a gravestone but it's actually a cross of orville dunworth our featured zombie for this evening yes so the entire cast of zombies at this point. So the credits roll, and then you see like this entire cast of people in the movie. And you're like, oh, that must be all the zombies that we're going to see later <laughs> yeah. on in the movie. Because there's like 20 or 30 of them. Yeah. For a low-budget film, there are a lot of zombies. And it's you can tell um, that they actually have a lot of people to use later on. We'll talk about it. It's not like they just use the same like three three guys and gals or something. They actually seem like they have a solid like 15 to 20 zombies out there. Again, it's impressive. Yeah. Like, you really have to take in the context. You know, this isn't like a big budget uh, thing. This is this is probably shoestring, and it's amazing what they're able to accomplish with what very little they have. Which is, just goes to show how good of a director Bob Clark is. Totally. So the scene moves from there to you see another ghoul approach, with a, approach this graveyard with a lantern, and cut to both... Now, the other ghoul approaching, so there's two ghouls, one with a top hat, one with just a freaky face and a lantern, and they're looking in the grave of Orville. The grave has been dug up. The coffin is open. Orville's body's in there. The ghouls reach in the coffin to pull Orville's body out. The original ghoul with the top hat lays down into the grave. The other ghoul closes the coffin on him, and the credits continue to roll. And, of course, the first time I'm watching this, I'm like, what the fuck is going on i know it's fucking freaky guys it's freaky freaky deaky it's freaky deaky and to answer your other question um imdb gives the uh the budget estimated at seventy thousand dollars so this is a an independent film essentially 
Yeah. And bravo for it. 50 years later, we're talking about it. Yep. Cut back to the second goal. <clears throat> suck, suck my dick. <laughs> cut back to the sec. Cut back to the second ghoul dragging Orville off into the darkness as the camera pans on Orville's gravestone slash cross. Cut to a skyline of Miami at night, and you see a shot of the island that the graveyard is on, and a sailboat with a bunch of people on it approaching. This, uh, I, I was like, oh, this is like. Like the Scooby-Doo gang, almost, you know? Yeah, yeah, and this is... They're dressed like that. <laughs> oh, my God. What Alan is wearing is so fantabulous. His pants are wild. His whole outfit is wild. But it's 72, so you're get, still getting that late 60s aesthetic, you know what I mean? And it's not quite... hasn't quite turned into the 70s yet. Um, but it's... it's The outfits in this, it's worth watching for the outfits alone. Also, too, it's worth noting that everyone looks normal. Nobody looks beautiful, yeah. you know, by 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 social media standards, yeah. I guess. I, I uh, what miss, a world we live in now. I miss character actors. I miss ugly character actors. So do I. By the way, I redid my credit. I redid my, uh, so I, I do talk to text and then I print it out and then I, made it super big font because i'm getting old because <laughs> you're getting old <laughs> welcome, welcome to the party pal welcome to the party pal so on the boat is alan anya val paul jeff and terry alan's the director and of this of this acting troupe and he's yelling at paul to fetch him a lantern with anya behind him looking crazed anya by the way will look crazed and mesmerized and like uh, maniacal through this 99% of this movie. Yeah, and she does a lot of eyebrow acting. She she does some crazy stuff with her eyebrows. And yes. you know what? Aside from Terry's uh, choice of tops, um, I'd say Anya was probably my favorite person to sort of like watch act. You know, she was just a lot of fun the entire time. Yeah, she chews up the scenery, but it, it just really works, you know. And I feel like they needed a weird character like this. And because the the cover would lead you to believe that like Jeff is a crazed maniac, like in the cover art and everything. But Jeff's actually pretty normal. Like everyone here is pretty normal. The the cover art does not do it justice. It really does. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Really, even the 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 updated poster cover art that they do for the 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 disc is not good. Both sides are not good. Uh, they make Orville on one side look like a total like like a modern day zombie. It, it looks like a Photoshop thing that you'd see on a video at Blockbuster. Yeah, it, it and looks then pretty bad. Yeah, and then the original poster, like Alan looks maniacal, which is fine, but then. But then Jeff, they made him look just really weird and like he's crazy or something. I'm like, but he's not. Like Jeff is actually sort of the the, the straight, the funny guy in the movie, you know? He's so the, yeah, he's the character. Yeah. Anyway, anyways, it's anyways. whatever. It's neither here nor there. It's just worth yeah. more my my expectations going into it, you know? Disregard the poster and love the movie. Yeah. Uh, so everyone's getting off the boat, marveling at the island. The only people that stay on the boat are Paul and Terry. Terry comments to Paul that the island doesn't smell too good. It doesn't smell too hot. Sorry. Paul responds with that, that it's probably because they don't bury the dead too deep. She says, this place looks creepy. She asks if they're really going to dig up a dead body. And Paul says, that's what he said. Terry responds, well, it sort of makes him a ghoul, doesn't it? Paul doesn't want her to speak too loud because he doesn't want Alan to hear. 
Paul responds, you know, basically like don't don't talk too loud because you don't want to be an unemployed actress. So there's a fine there's an underlying theme going through this whole thing that all these actors that work for Alan are afraid that they'll lose their job if they don't do what they're told. And I guess Alan pays them like, you know, like they're not working for free or anything. So that's kind of the hold he has over them because they're not on this island to film a movie. They're there to do a like a magical ritual with him. You know, like that yeah. was my takeaway from right. Like, they're not there to film anything. Right. They don't have any film no. equipment. Now, part of me was like, are they there to do research for an upcoming movie or they're there? Are they there to do like a. Yeah, like basically a play. And and that's what's it's never really explained, but you always get the idea that that Alan is holding the employment over their head, you know, like, oh, well, if you want to leave, that's great. But then you're, you know, basically you're fucked. You'll never work in this town again. You know, that kind of thing, you know, exactly. Alan comes back to the boat to put a, a cover on the sail. And he's looking at Terry well, he's looking at her rear end really, really sleazily while they're like while she and uh, Paul pack up the sail. And, and I'm not going to lie. Terry's got a flat butt, you know, and like that shot of it wasn't very flattering. And I'm like, oh, oh, Terry, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, you know, out of the three, he's probably like, well, this is the one that I haven't had sex with yet. And I'm going to. <laughs> True. That's what he's kind of what he's about to allude to. Paul says, Paul comments that he doesn't see any dead people. Alan says, oh, the graveyard starts right up around the bend. And Paul asks where the cottage is. And Alan responds a few hundred yards from the graveyard. Alan then says, Paul, I was thinking. And he looks at Terry kind of sleazily. And he says, since Terry is a new member of the company, sort of coming into her theatrical puberty, so to speak, I just might have to invoke that rule, a pretty primal juncture. Terry then comments, Sort of like a slave master breaking in a new virgin. And Alan responds, well, crudely put, but basically accurate. <laughs> and Paul says, well, you'll have to ask the virgin. And Terry turns and looks at Alan and says, you're about 10 years too late. I lost it when I was a brownie to an Eagle Scout. And Alan's kind of questioning whether that actually happened. She goes, Scout's honor. And Alan says, well, how many merits, how many merits does an Eagle Scout get for seducing a brownie? And Terry says, well, you'll have to check your Boy Scout manual under things to do in the woods. Alan looks at her smugly and says, clever girl. He gets off the boat and walks away and tells everybody to grab their suitcases and they head into the jungle. I love that. I'm like, clever girl. Oh, Jurassic Park coming. <laughs> Dude, my first thought was, oh, Steven Spielberg ripped that off. Or <laughs> Fuck yeah, you know he did. You know he did. Because uh, he even says it the same way. But um, the dialogue yeah. in this is fun. There, there's a lot of this. There's a lot of this, like, wordplay going on. Later on, my favorite one was, like, uh, when Alan's like, well, you can get out of this with, your, with the claws, the grotesque claws or something like that, and then you can get away from my grotesque claws. So it's C-L-A-U-S-E versus C-L-A-W-S. It's, it's fun. The dialogue, they for a movie that is very dialogue heavy because the action kind of doesn't come until, like, the last third of the film, um, it... The dialogue is fun to listen to because it's it's a lot of banter and a lot of back and forth, but sort of like verbal one-upsman type of thing. I, I very much enjoyed the dialogue aspect of this movie. For me, this tracks with so many horror films from this time. It, it's, it's a slow burn. It's a slow build. Yes. 
reminds me of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I think we brought that up uh, with, with maybe the last movie we did. Um, you're getting to, you're get, you know, you know, dread is coming. You just don't know when. And the, the care, the acting is good. It's good acting. The writing is smart. You get the sense that this, this night is only going to get worse for them. And the whole thing's just going to fall apart, but who's going to fall apart first. We're going to find out again, clever girl. You, from there, they, you kind of cut to a spider eating a bug creepily. Uh, and then you see a big spider in a, in a, in a spider web and you're introduced to the rest of the crew as they're carrying like a big trunk, uh, of props throughout the woods. I'm going to refer to it as the woods, the jungle, the Island from time to time. I'll, I'll be all over the place. Yeah. My, uh, my notes are divided from either abandoned house, graveyard or woods. That's how I had yeah, to sort of mark it, you know? Uh, Jeffrey, who's wearing a or Jeff, who's wearing a sweet, like heart, tat our heart t-shirt a t-shirt covered in hearts i'm like oh did he make that that looks like a made t-shirt by a five-year-old um he says hey alan who's your travel agent count dracula <laughs> <laughs> oh jeff and his back hair oh his back hair and his all that stuff he comments that he feels like he's on the late late show and uh and and he goes i whistle past the graveyard but my lips are afraid to be separated (laughs) (laughs) then val throughout this whole oh and then paul comments gee i wonder if tab hunter started like this tab hunter wow nice reference to out of the dark because wasn't tab hunter in out of the dark at the the end right wasn't he the guy at the end yep wow Terry then, Terry, this is Terry, quite the spider web that we're, we're concocting. I know, right? Everybody's kind of bantering back and forth, and you hear the the birds hooting and the crickets chirping. It's very creepy. Yeah, and my only note by. is that all their outfits are wild. They're wild, and they're terrible looking. Yes. They're really gross in, in a funny way. They look up ahead as the graveyard is getting closer to them, and they see a light coming, shining from, from the distance. Paul yells out, what the hell is a street lamp out here? And Alan says, this used to be a resort island. Come on, follow me. And don't worry. They only drink kosher blood here. (laughs) (laughs) He says it with like this bad Dracula accent. So like kosher blood here. Ah, 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 ah. Is Alan, no, I guess this would be before it. Is like somebody like Coffin Joe, like sort of, aping off of alan's character in this i think i maybe this is around the same time okay okay the late night horror hosts existed you know zaturly and stuff like that okay um it, it and alan has that vibe to him he doesn't look like that but the way he you know exudes that acting yes everything's over the top so, so you theatrical. know when i'm doing the alan voice because i'll be very theatrical yeah yeah because right? he continues he says don't worry, all the vampires have their health cards and they get inspected once a week. <laughs> and Jeff says, he call, says that Alan's weird. He ought to be in a wax museum somewhere. And then Val, Val is like the, it's a running gag through this whole thing that she has a snarky kind of one line at the end every time. It gets a little old for me. Her character gets old for me, to be honest with you, out of all the characters in this. She's the only one that I'm like, okay, you're not, you're not cool. Because she's like the old pro, I think, in, the, in this group. And she's always riding Alan's ass and clearly, like, hates him. So you're like, 
why are you there, I guess? Yeah. And if it's a money thing, then, you know, like if it's a job scenario and, and she's like, she's pretty mean to Alan the entire time, then I'm like, why doesn't Alan just fire her? And then I'm like, with Val, I'm like, well, then, but then why don't you just quit? Because you clearly hate him. So it's, it's really weird. I've never seen such antagonism from a paid employee, I guess. Well, and, and, you know, I, I agree with you. Um, and I would think in this modern day, we get more, we, we'd get less of that. But knowing how desperate actors are to this day and any opportunity to act, and there's so much, it's, and there's so much insecurity and there's so much like, uh, you know, lust of wanting to be loved and, and seen and, and heard and known like this opportunity to be an actor with a group, you know, I think that overpowers or supersedes the, the, the abuse. Yeah. Because yeah, they're all, (laughs) if they're all getting paid. Yeah. That's a rare thing for, for an actor to have like a, a regular gig. Like if you're a part of a troupe like this. So yeah. Okay. I I mean, I can see that. And yeah, actors are fucking terrible. So yeah, they are (laughs) not, excluding myself yes excluding the ones that we we know and love that are friends of ours I, exactly. all the other go, ones suck <laughs> all the other ones suck yeah the ones we don't know suck no. yeah so jeff comments that alan should be in a wax museum and val says kneeling right under the guy in the black hood mm-hmm. <laughs> and i'm like wait kneeling is he giving him head oh he's getting his head chopped off okay Giving him he's giving him another kind of head <laughs> they continue on through the jungle uh, sorry, Island at night with their lanterns walking through the graveyard. Alan smiles and says, well, there it is. Ulalum, the sanctum of Satan. And then Jeffrey says, is this a set you had, you had built? Anya whispers, it's a masterpiece. The vibrations are powerful. And Paul says, why the hell would they build a graveyard out here? And Alan says, a logical question to which I have a logical answer. The island you see, and I, I tracked most of his dialogue because it's pretty important, most of his dialogue. Oh, yeah. No, all Alan's stuff is exposition. Like, you need to know it. Yeah. He says, the island you see has a history which I shall relate. But first, the Tencent tour. <laughs> which, and I love Val's comment there. I actually wrote that down. But first, the Tencent tour. And she goes, in which we get for only a quarter. And I was yeah, like, ah, that was that's, funny. I like that. That's, that's clever. That was funny. That was a nice Big little jab. fucking smirk on her face. Yeah. Yeah, that was, she knows it was good, too. <laughs> she, she did. She was like, that's gold, baby. <laughs> yeah. Alan shows them the graveyard and gives them the tour. He shows them the, the, the pauper section where all the corpses there were buried recently. Alan says they just level off a section of ground and they throw them in there. And Terry says, you mean the people right under our feet were just put here? And Alan giggles and he's like, they're hardly cold. And a more delightful of gaggle of riches you'll never meet. Murderers, rapists. And Terry says, there's not any paupers buried in that section. And she, as, as the camera kind of pans through this cemetery, which is pretty big, by the way. Yeah. It's really big. Mm-hmm. And Alan says, oh, indeed there aren't. That is hollowed ground. Come, children. Uncle Alan is going to curdle your blood. And Val chimes in and says, Uncle Alan already does. (laughs) Turns my stomach, too. (laughs) And Alan takes him into the hollowed ground area. Alan walks them over to a section of the graveyard and stops and says, feast your eyes on one of the last 
one of the last vestiges of grace, one of the last flights of pure imagination, and the camera pans throughout the whole cemetery. And Jeff says, it's a boneyard. And Alan says, boneyard? Boneyard? What a travesty, a sacrilege, a match for a reduction of the sublime to the commonplace. Only a true ordinary mind, Jeffrey, can conceive such an idea. And, and I Terry like- goes... Oh, yeah. And I like that piece of dialogue because when Jeff, like, it's a boneyard, the focus is on him, but Alan was in the foreground out of focus. And then they racked focus to Alan, and then Jeff was out of focus. I just want to call that out because it's kind of like one of the few neat little, you know, camera tricks that they do. Everything else is, is pretty standard stuff. No, no big deal. Not hating or anything. But, like, I was like, I like that. That was a fun little camera movement, or not movement, but a, you know, a camera thing that they did. And it just didn't happen too often. No, you're right. You're right. And it's really it's done really well. Mm-hmm. Again, this is done very well. It's a low budget movie, but it's it looks really good. Right. And and you don't and here's the thing, guys and gals, the reason like the lower the budget, the less movement you're going to see in movies because dolly setting down dolly tracks and everything takes time and money. Uh even doing rack focusing like this, like they didn't have to do that, but they chose to, but that I guarantee you just added a little bit of extra time on the setup for that shot and everything. And that's and time is money. So at $70,000, you're not going to get a lot of fancy camera work like that because it, it just takes time and they don't have it. So I was just want to call, you know, I just, I liked it when they actually did utilize something like that. No, totally. Ab- absolutely. Well, Terry comments that this whole area is kind of pretty. <laughs> and then Alan groans and he goes, give me a moment. The magnitude of your simpletude overwhelms me. I love that phrase, by the way. (laughs) It's like, basically, you're an idiot. Yeah, I wrote it down, too. Your magnitude (laughs) of your simpletude. (laughs) Paul says, okay, what the hell are you talking about? No, Paul then says, okay, what the hell is he talking about? And Jeff says, humor him. It's an old war injury. The guys sit down on top of the trunk while the ladies are kind of standing around watching Alan do his thing. Jeff looks at Alan and says, Alan... Is it your hemorrhoids again? And everyone laughs. <laughs> I wrote that one down. That's funny. I wrote it down. I loved it. Alan does not laugh. Alan says, your levity does not amuse me, Jeffrey. You're on sacred ground, my friend. For in this very crypt, a man who is malice apart the gods, who is unrelenting thirst, revengeance inflame the mind of Satan himself. Even now, demonic forces over here feeding upon the psychic force of that one act. Be still, listen, and the camera pans behind Alan, and and behind like a there's a cool statue that's like watching them. It's very oh, and behind that cool statue, something is watching them in the distance. It's the ghoul. Yeah, and you hear the music clanging. It's very creepy. Alan continues. He goes, even now their malevolent gaze may be falling upon you. And Terry interrupts and says, I don't care if. Their gaze falls upon me as long as they keep their pee-picking hands to themselves. Pee-picking hands. Like like pee pods or, yeah. Yeah. Paul wants to continue pee-picking hands. Such a weird comment. Paul kind of scoffs and he wants Alan to continue the tour. And Alan says, come children, stay in single file and take hold of one another. There are things in the night waiting for children who stray out of the light. So again, Children shouldn't play with dead things is in reference to them being the children because Alan will call them children quite a few times in this film. Yeah, multiple times. I, I picked up that the the first time I was watching. I was like, ah, okay. that And that makes the, the name work for me, you know? It totally makes sense. 
it's his children. He's the father. He's in charge, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. And as much, <laughs> much to their chagrin. Yes. <laughs> so they continue walking through this graveyard. You feel like they've been walking for miles, but it's they really haven't been walking that far. Val chimes in about Alan. She says, it's a good thing he's a director because, wow, what a bad actor. <laughs> no, he's great. Jeff, <laughs> I love Alan. It's great. And, it, and Jeffrey, Jeff says, I don't know. I kind of get the feeling that something's following us. And Val says, what, rot? And Jeff says, could be. Could be rotten. Suddenly he gets shushed by Terry. And she goes, did you hear that? And he goes, yeah, I think I did. And Val says, oh, brother, Alan would love this. Terry says, I know I heard something. Wait a minute. Suddenly, you cut to a second ghoul hiding in the forest. That the again the the ghoul with the lantern, the not the buried one, watching them from from behind tree branches. They all comment that they heard something, and Alan says it's evil entities. I told you about them. Terry says it's not evil entities. It's probably just one weird person. Paul says, "What's the difference? We got a shotgun in here. Track that, by the way." Yeah. And Alan says, "Paul, you can't scare off demons with a shotgun." Jeff says, I don't care about demons. I just hope we haven't offended the leader of some hippie cult. <laughs> you guys are Alan, the hippie cult. <laughs> <laughs> you're the hippie cult. And this is, makes sense because, you know, the late seven, early 70s, Charles Manson. Yeah. You know, this, that was a big deal back then. That was very, yeah, it was a very scary time back then uh, with cults and everything. And Alan goes, what a perfect place for a mass murder. How about this? A group of jaded young deviants, that's us, come to a burial island to dabble in witchcraft, try a few try a few spells, but we stumble upon some really sick cult, which follows us along a deserted path until finally, and Terry's like had enough at this point. She's like, I've had enough. And Val says, don't give him the satisfaction. Terry's and like, says, me what? and my brawless boobs have had enough of this. <laughs> yes, shake a shake. Alan says, what? I'm just being realistic. I mean, they're having trouble all over the world with grave robbery, ghouls, people breaking into cemeteries. Anya says, but we're the grave robbers. Who's going to bother us? I need a sandwich. Yeah, she's super thin. Like, like you know, not very thin. Yeah. Like, oops. And after she says that, Alan goes, nobody but demons at this point. And Alan says, come now, children. It's late and we've got a lot to do. I wonder, like, the satanic panic didn't start off until the 80s. Were there, like, stories of grave grave robbers and whatnot back in the late early 70s and stuff well i think i think manson was still a very creepy thing well yeah but that was that was 69 right that was like summer of love it was but in in, you know this probably this movie was written in like 1970 or 1971 right yeah so right and and let's be honest walking around in a graveyard at night on an island is very scary oh i think if we did that in 2023 it would be very terrifying I've walked around the graveyard in Santa Monica on Halloween night, the one that was uh, sort of in between your place and my place, you know? Um, oh, yeah. And, on 14th. And, yeah. yeah, something like that. And, uh, you know, I, and, and that was freaky enough. And that's in the middle of a city. So not to mention technically on a deserted island that is only a grave, essentially. Yeah, dude, I can imagine that would be freaky as fuck. And by the way, that area you're talking about um, – Postal carriers will not deliver mail. At least I, there was a time when they would not deliver mail to that area because it was so crime-ridden. Oh, wow. 
this little pocket by the graveyard. Yeah. It's very creepy. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That was my old hood, baby. Right? You get a POV shot of uh, of the ghoul watching them as they continue deeper into the island. Cut back to Alan leading them to the cottage. Finally, they've made it. Hey, everybody. Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Hey, everybody. I'm Tim. And I'm Dean. And we're the hosts of Talking Back. We're a retro-based podcast covering movies, comics, video games, and more. Check us out every Monday where we hit the rewind button and dig into some of our favorite content from the past. We like to keep things fun, lighthearted, and informative. Do you feel like you need more nostalgia in your life? Then check out Talking Back. We're available everywhere podcasts are found. Have you been wondering where's the beef? Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out, as well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV and music, to slang, food, and fashion. You're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it. And now, back to the show. Paul asks how long this place has been empty. And Alan says, oh, about two years. He goes, the front door is pretty sturdy. They're they're trying to break in the door, but they can't. He goes, let's check the windows. By the way, uh, probably a mistake on their end, but this house is supposed to have been abandoned for a couple years. And the light's on. (laughs) Yeah. There's there's a few gaffes and I'll, I'll call there's them out and it's, and it's okay it's it's okay no big deal I think yeah. this movie was written in like ten days or something and it was probably filmed I'm sure it was filmed in just a few weeks you know maybe a month yeah. and a half or something but it, it's a okay because what it's doing is a lot of fun dude in in everything I'm describing right now like reading it back to you I'm like this is pretty fucking cool like yeah. even, you know so so. They're, they're trying to find a way to break into the cottage. And as they are, Terry asks, where is the caretaker now? And Alan says, oh, an insane asylum. But, the, <laughs> and, but that's and, a lie, though, right? Because they've, they, they've, they've, so the caretaker that they've. The caretakers got accosted by the ghoul. And, we don't know what's happened to him yet. But is this supposed to be his house? And therefore, why would it be boarded up? You know what I mean? Good point. And I. Good point, and maybe he's just a really lazy, dirty guy. Yeah, yeah it's possible. Yeah, possible. Again, maybe don't, don't take it. any of the gaffes we're going to bring up. Um, won't take anything away from up, this though. movie. I, I didn't think about that, and that is a good good thing to bring up because it looks like it's been abandoned. Yeah, with the light on. Yep. And so, yeah. So Terry's like, "Oh God, I'm afraid of ask." After he says insane, in, after he says insane asylum, Alan says, "It's quite ordinary, really." Killed his wife and two children. They found him babbling. And Paul says, why didn't they get another caretaker? And Alan says, oh, they did. (laughs) (laughs) Jeff comments that they can build a fire because they see a pile of wood. And Val says, that's the best news I've heard all night. The whole time they're having this discussion, you see like the camera from the inside of the house panning by the windows of them trying to find a way to break in. Alan calls Paul over to a section of uh, like a window to, to, to kick in some shutters. 
And you got to know and- that Paul... Paul's the hunky boy of this movie. He's he's supposed to be not in reality. He's not as hunky as the movie wants you to think that he's hunky. Eh, but you know what? The flaw really is the fuzzy hair. It's the humidity. The fuzzy hair. And and Alan at one point comments that he he thinks he's going to be the next Brando. You get that vibe from him. Brando in a funhouse mirror. Yeah. But I love what Alan <laughs> Alan says. Alan says, "Paul, do your athlete thing." <laughs> and he has. Uh, Paul like basically knocks the the window open, uh, knocks the shutter open to get into the cottage. We like open palm karate's it too. Yeah, karate chop it, and he he ser- he gets into the house into the cottage, starts searching around <laughs> while then, the others. And then he screams, "Oh my god!" Ah! <laughs> Everyone's like, "What ah! the fuck's going on?" He fucking flips out like a motherfucker and what is it zach what's he flipping out about spiders i hate spiders he hates spiders more than indiana jones hates snakes (laughs) yes this is more convincing than indiana jones hating snakes i believe yeah totally nice callback um yeah so terry says you scared the hell out of us and paul's like i'm sorry i'm sorry and then he goes, why don't you come around to the front and I'll let you in. So Paul goes around to the front of the cottage and lets them in. They come in the front door of the house. You see a living room with a fireplace. There, yeah, there's a sheet over the chair. Like people have not been living there, but apparently they have been. Yeah. If there's a caretaker, maybe he just comes over at night. Who knows? Okay. Does that work? Yeah, yeah works for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he lives in Miami and he just like sort of boats over at night. Sure. I'll take that. Right. Alan says, why don't we explore the quarters while Jeffrey builds us a fire? We may even come across a fuse box. Alan asks Anya to tidy up. She looks at him like a crazed cult girl and just smiles. (laughs) Alan tells Jeff to repair the window that Paul knocked in. Alan tells Paul and Terry to accompany him to the ferret of the castle. And Jeff says, why doesn't Paul repair the window? He's the one that knocked it in. And Paul says, very fancy. He's like, I'm going to ferret out the castle with the master. Yeah, I love that. I love the way he sort of mockingly talked like Alan talked. Right. It's so funny. They walk over. Now, this is an interesting moment. They walk over to part of the living room where there's a doorway that's covered with a red sheet. This will come back later. Mm -hmm. It's supposed to be the kitchen in this scene and they open up the door and they see rats in the sink. It's very nasty looking. Yeah. Later that becomes the back entrance of the house. Oh my God. You're right. I didn't even fucking put that together. You're right. Probably the biggest guffaw. In the yeah. Film, yeah. Okay. Gaff. Okay. Okay. I, I can picture in my head. I didn't even pick up on that. The two times that I watched it, I, probably because I was just, into the story i was into the characters and into everything yeah to me to me this is like when you're with your buddies when you're a kid and you're reenacting night of the living dead and you're making you're playing in the woods yeah and you find an old cabin and you just have some fucking fun with it this is what this movie reminds me of it takes you back to the times when 
you could just play with your imagination and let go of mistakes. Dude, I my my mom, my dad and my stepmom um, had this house in Virginia in Roanoke. Um, awesome ass, like converted farmhouse. My, uh, mine and my sister's bedrooms were at the top of the silo. So that silo was converted into bedrooms. Um, so they were, you know, rounded and everything. But like I would spend, I spent one summer with my friend Robbie, um, shooting like a, a, our own little movie. And this was like, this was like peak cyborg. So I was already like, I love cyborg. So it was like a post-apocalypse wasteland type of thing, but it was in the woods. You loved cyborg. L- loved. Yes. Past tense. <laughs> um, and yeah, and it's just, it's same vibe, man. So like I, I did that shit when I was a kid, I had my dad's, you know, camcorder. I even did like in camera stuff. Like people would disappear. You know, like he got shot and he would disappear because I'd pause the camera and start it again, you know, bullshit like that. But when yeah. I'm watching this movie, I'm so glad you brought it up because when I'm watching this movie, I get those same vibes and i think yeah. the reason i don't give a rat's ass about any of the gaffes in this movie is because the heart is there the, the it's it just you know what i mean like the the heart and soul is there so i can look past the the mess ups and the mistakes and everything yeah because there's like a fun vibe about this movie unlike cyborg <laughs> there's not a fun vibe no. throughout cyborg no, no. <laughs> really not oh man oh cyborg, um, <clears throat> oh, cyborg. if you want to hear we rec- we recorded a little uh, wrap-up bonus episode on our Patreon. If you're not a Patreon subscriber, consider it uh, checking that out because the, the little fun bonus is kind of a rant on Cyborg. Some fun facts yeah. that you may not have known about Cyborg. And if you did, well, this will just reiterate whether Cyborg's a good movie or not. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. and per, um, per our season one discussion, we did not love that movie, so. No. Spoiler. Uh, so... <laughs> They they see the rats in the sink. Terry says, oh, this is getting worse all the time. And, Alan, and then Alan says, well, if we come under siege and the supplies run low, rats will do. And Val says, well, in your case, that would be cannibalism. <laughs> <laughs> Alan just giggles and they go to check upstairs. Yeah. And I think that's why I took the note. I, I enjoy all the jokes. Like I enjoy the like you said earlier, the dialogue is smart. It's it's quick. It's fast. Super smart. And it's it's fun. Yeah, and, and it's, again, 1972. You know, this isn't fucking Seth Rogen in 2020, you know, yeah. where, where, we've, where we've, like, we come up with new jokes. This is this shit was, at the time, was probably fairly original, you know? And it holds up really fucking well in 2023. I agree. Before they go upstairs, Terry, Paul, and Alan, Terry says, I'm still thinking about the Satan worshippers with the hatchet. And Alan says, I'm not surprised. Did you read about those campers last week? A group of kids came over to their campsite and and invited them for dinner. When they got to the kids' camp, they realized they were the dinner. (laughs) (laughs) I love that one, too. That was was a fun little joke. And Terry says, did they? And Alan says, they sure did. Then they get to the top of the stairs and they open, they start, like, there's, at the second level of the cottage, there's bedrooms. There's like maybe two or three bedrooms. Alan opens one of the doors. Paul then says to Alan, I shouldn't ask, but what happened to the other caretaker? Alan says, he hanged himself in this very room, if I'm not mistaken. And he leads him to the bedroom that will later become the home for Orville. Yes. 
Terry says, now wait a minute. This is too much. You tell us the first caretaker murdered his family. The second caretaker hanged himself. I mean, this is like a grade B movie where the villain tries to drive the victims mad. And Alan says, oh, a villain. How flattering. (laughs) Terry asks, do you have a large insurance policy on this company? And Alan says, no, I'm bumping you all off as my contribution to a good theater. (laughs) Quick cut outside (laughs) of the house. Through the bedroom window, you see the ghoul lurking in the shadows. Paul and Terry go downstairs, and Alan is the one who's looking out the window, realizing that there's somebody out there. Yeah. I like that shot. It's a cool shot, too. Very cool shot. Cut to a roaring fire, Jeff and Val sitting by the fire. And Jeff says, a fire a day keeps the ghosts away. (laughs) Anya appears and says, why would you want to keep them away? Wouldn't it be beautiful to be in the presence of a ghost from another plane? Val says, you're serious about that. And Anya says, yes, of course. Jeff says, well, I don't know. I always heard that ghosts have a way of being downright nasty. And Anya goes, oh, no. And at the time, she's like holding a bunch of fucking cans of food and wherever that maybe that maybe it was in the trunk. Can I? Okay, I'll stay in a second. Keep going. She's shaking her head. She's like, it's not true. What people perceive as evil in ghosts and spirits is only a reflection of their own malevolence and fear. People create their own demons. Val says, that's not very original, Anya. And Anya says, something is going to happen tonight. I can feel it. And she looks super excited. Yeah. For, foreshadowing right psycho. there. Yep. And she walks into the kitchen. So, Zach, we've seen a lot of anya type characters in movies have you ever known someone like that in real life because i haven't part of me was like was my ex-wife a little bit like that maybe just a little bit no um yeah i have i have actually so they exist like people like this exist oh yeah um a good friend of mine had a girlfriend who felt that she and he were destined to be together Magic brought them together. Co- the cosmos brought them together. She'd show up at his house at like two in the morning, you know, crazed out of her mind. Was this Terry or Matt's girlfriend? No, this is my buddy Daniel, <laughs> who was a little wacky too. He was a he was a wacky dude too. He he <laughs> he he had. That's a whole other story. Um, actually, one of the movies in your stack is like a tribute to him. Okay, if we ever get to it down the road. Um, but man, she show up at his house at like two in the morning wanting to have sex with him. You know, we must do it now. The cosmos willed it like shit like that. Wow. She was really fucked. And then when, when he was like, you know, again, he was out there. She's like, she, she's wing ding, man. She's loopy. Like he was trapped in the seventies. You know, she's wing ding, man. She's loopy. I can't deal with her. I'm like, well, did you tell her that? And he's like, he's like, well, you know, I think she got the hint. And I go, what? You gotta like tell her, and she flipped out. She called me. Well, Daniel won't talk to me. Like, oh my god. Oh god. Okay. She was fucking crazy. So yeah. So yeah. So long exist. story short, yes. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> I knew you'd have. I knew you'd have something horrific to say. <laughs> Some sort of trauma. Of to course. Say. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. It's it. it you know, it tracks right. It tracks. Yeah, yeah. I've always got a crazy person in my life. <laughs> I mean, yeah, dude. I love it. I love it. So 
so she so crazy Anya gets up and she goes into the kitchen before she does Terry stops her and says you know I wouldn't go in there place is full of rats and Anya says oh they don't bother me rats don't mind people if you don't mind them Terry looks at Paul and they giggle and they walk over to the fire. Yeah, and this is when I noted that uh, Anya does a lot of eyebrow acting. Like as she's talking, her eyebrows yes. go up. One, like both go up together, then they go down, then the left one goes up, and then the right one goes up. It's it's a wild scene, man. It's wild. Her eyebrows yeah. are wild. <laughs> I love it. I, and that's and but that's the thing. That's what you know. Yes, she's making choices as an actor, and and they're they're kind of silly. But you know, watching it. That's the interesting shit. Like, she's doing yeah. the interesting shit. So, like, when she's talking, I-, I can't look away, you know? And yet I'm like, oh, she's weird. But at the same time, I'm like, but it's kind of mesmerizing, you know? And that's that's the interesting choices that keep you sort of coming back and rewatching it. And you and I talk about that so much on this podcast. Like, the movies that I think that, ende- that endure are the ones that have these just silly moments and just – weird choices that maybe on paper you're like why are you doing that but you watch it and you're like yeah that works yeah that that's that's more fun than if you just delivered the lines normally you know yeah and i think if this movie was a modern film it wouldn't work right it wouldn't be funny no like it, it but because it's a time capsule film like the warriors for example it gets a pass on things that would be silly now yeah but those silly things make it so entertaining Totally. I agree. I agree. And that, and it, 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 its intention is to be silly. Yeah. And it works. Yeah. And, and, and Paul says, well, I've never met it. Personally, I've never met a rat that I didn't like. And then Jeff starts singing a, a song because in this at this moment, I'm like, oh, fucking actors. Like, everybody's got to have their moment. Everybody's <laughs> got to have their, their one line. <laughs> you know? They, they, oh, my God. I went to a fucking p- party one time in L.A., um, this guy, he was a, he was like the head acting teacher for a very prestigious school here. And he had just gotten a role or he was in the middle of making a movie with a very prominent actor. And they had just gotten the music supervisor from a popular, um, musical and every young starving actor was there. And they're like singing the song, the main song from this musical that the guy had done to, to the acting teacher like look at me look at what i can do and i'm like you guys fucking suck like oh my god stop you know oh let me do this for you i'm an actor (laughs) let me show you how good i am (laughs) oh my god so anyways yeah jeff is doing this let's take a rat to lunch today show him that he's one of the bunch today i'm like shut the fuck up dude just just build the fire stop being an actor Suddenly, Alan appears down the stairs and says, All right, children, story time. Uncle Alan's going to chill your marrow and make you squeal and get all wet and goose and get goose pimples. I love that. Chill your marrow. Mm -hmm. It's a fucking awesome line. Anya looks excited like she's going to blow her load. And she approaches him. Alan walks over to the big hope chest, like the big trunk, opens it and pulls out the shotgun. And then Paul says, What's the shotgun for? And I love when, like, he pulls it out and he, like, loads it and kind of, you know, moves it to his left. It's, like, aiming right at Terry's face. And you can tell that the actress, like, kind of moves to the side because she's like, Jesus Christ. Uh, Yeah, you need a little bit more uh, gun control, you know. By the way, Paul's the one that asks what the shotgun's for. And didn't he say earlier that we had a shotgun when they're walking in the forest? Yeah. 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 Written in 10 days. Not not the tightest script. 
No, no. Especially when Alan calls it a grimori when they're actually it's pronounced grimoire. <laughs> there you go. Maybe that's what I wrote down too. Um, Alan says, just in case any little ghosts trying to break in here and gobble up my children. I'm like, oh, yep. that's when you said earlier it didn't work, but whatever. Uh, and then Jeff says, you got any silver buckshot in there? And Alan says, no, but I've got this. And he pulls out his sorcerer's source box, the warlock's war chest, the conjurer's conjugation. And Val says, the nincompoop's knapsack. I love that. That was a good line. <laughs> it is. Alan says, if things get really desperate, I'll just have you reenact some of your past performances. Not even a thing from the blackest of hell could stand up to that. <laughs> burn. And then Terry, <laughs> sick burn. Terry's all excited. She's like, what else is in the chest? And Alan goes, oh, I've got many things. For instance, this. And he holds up a big wreath of garlic. To ward off evil entities. And then Terry, like, makes her little kid voice. She's got to show off her acting, too. I've got to do my acting. Her kid voice freaked me the fuck out. I hated it. Gee, Mr. Wizard, how do you get the litmus paper to turn blue? And Alan says, the same way I get the egg into the Coke bottle, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck, that was my favorite moment in the scene. (laughs) Where, don't you fucking act. Don't fucking act for me. You're already hired. I will tell you when to act. I am the director. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the director. Now go to Nexium and get your tattoo on your... Get your branding. Oh, God. Jesus Christ. (laughs) I mean, it's all the same. I know. I know. Because, yeah, this... If this guy, if this really existed now, this would be just become Nexium. He would just turn this proof into Nexium. Yeah, yo, guys, if you don't know what we're talking about, go watch The Vow on HBO. It's fucking wild. Yeah. It's wild how desperate people are for attention and neediness. Like, the guy who perp- the guy who is the perpetrator against these women is a piece of shit. But you know what? Like the writing was on the fucking wall. Yeah, and it's got. And I've know I've known people like this. Yeah, and it's got the chick from fucking uh, Smallville joined that the the ne- the Nexium group. She, she was like his coops. like right hand man too. Yep, yep, right right hand brand. There you go, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Anyways, I love his Coke bottle bitch lines. <laughs> Everyone laughs. Alan holds up a big book and says, "This is the treasure of treasures," and he gives it to Anya. He says to hold it. Jeff asks what it is, and Alan says, later. First, this, and he grabs his robe. It's a blue wizard's robe. Terry asks where she can get one of those, and Alan says, on the other side of eternity, my dear. <laughs> I'm going to say that when someone <laughs> says, oh, I like that. Where can I get that? On the other side of eternity. <laughs> I love that. That's a great line, actually. <laughs> Cut the vowel, chilling on the fucking couch like a slouch like a villain all smug saying talk about my performances <laughs> would have been funny if she was drinking too yeah alan asks what time it is paul tells him it's 11 30 alan says perfect paul says perfect for what alan says midnight is the optimum time for any summation paul says wait a minute just what exactly are we summoning i think it's about time the wizard came clean alan giggles and says Ooh, that's very poetic, Paul, in a prosaic kind of way. Paul says, well, we may not be poets, but what we do have is the right to know what's going on. Hey, does he, does goes, Paul oh. have a New York accent sometimes? He kind of does, because, you know, again, he's like, he's a fan of Brando. He wants to do that tough guy 
he more looks like instead of a Brando, he looks like Paulie from Rocky, like a young Paulie. He, he, I mean, he's in no shape. Offense. I mean, that's you know makes it sound like he's fat, but you're right. He's like an in shape young Paulie. He's well, he's you, not you look at the guy and you're like, he's a mama Luke. He's gonna, you know, he, he's you know what's gonna happen to this dude. Yeah. So you know, he's not gonna. Well, he could turn into Brando. <clears throat> <laughs> Alan says, "Oh, the people speak." A little democratic action, eh? Let me remind you, my darlings, that this company is not a democratic enterprise. It's a feudal state. I rule it. I own it. I own you. And the camera pans and looks at all the actors looking all pissed off. Alan says, The only difference between this feudal state and any other feudal state is that here the serfs, that's you, can quit anytime you like. Anybody want to quit? He looks at everyone. No one responds. And I wrote this down. He goes, oh, the revolution is dead. I loved that, dude. <laughs> Same, dude. It's, it's so, such a dick. So I great. Because he's like, you're trapped here. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, we don't need to sort of know the particular. They, they kind of, they, they don't explain everything up front. But through the course of the film, you get the idea that, yeah, they, they're like, we need this job. We can't leave, you know, type of thing. Yes. Yes. So finally he says, you know, I, I will divulge all. He asks Anya for the book. And he says, this is a, what is it? it what is it, Corey? He pronounces it a grimoire, but it's pronounced grimoire. Okay. Which is a book of ancient spells descending in a direct line from the Druids and the old religion. He opens the book and says, this book has counter spells conjugations summations as he's flipping through the pages he says here is the spell i have chosen for our purposes anya looks like she's just gonna like melt all over his book simple steps and simple words necessary to enable a master to call for the dead that from their graves to bend their wills to his and serve him always in the world in this world and the next alan continues and says this island meets the unique stipulations required for a summation an evil was committed here. A curse lies upon it, and there are fresh cadavers available and waiting for us, and it's nearly midnight, so I suggest we go and exhume our corpse. And they walk out to the cemetery. Now, I don't know if you wrote down this piece of dialogue later, because uh, it's kind of in passing, um, but Alan mentions that midnight is the witching hour, and that's wrong. It's uh, 3 a.m. is the witching hour. <laughs> Just little things. It's okay. It's okay. My, I, my I, cult. I just, I, <laughs> Gee, Mr. Wizard, will you tell me what else is the witching hour? What happens if I, if I, what happens if I explode inside of a pentagram? What, what will that grant me? <laughs> Gee, Mr. Wizard, will you tell me more about the occult? <laughs> no, bitch. Again, all these gaffes, they're no big deal. They're no big deal no. at all. I just, I need something to talk about. I need something to contribute <laughs> to the conversation here, you know? Wait, wait till we get to uh, TV Obscura and, and we talk about wrestling and Corey's like, I just need something to talk about, guys. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck you, you and Diallo were talking about right now. <laughs> I almost threw, never mind. As they're walking, Jeff asks Alan how much time they get for grave oh, robbing. Oh, oh, I love this. I love this piece of line because uh, <laughs> they hang you. And he goes, ah, a suspended sentence. I was like, yeah. <laughs> fucking yeah. I'm like, I'm sitting here. I'm like, I'm, first time I watch this, I'm smoking a fucking joint. And I'm like, yeah, I love that fucking joke. That's a good one. Not, not only that joke, but right after that, what happens? They walk by a statue and Jeff says. <laughs> Avon calling. 
ding dong, Avon calling. And that was Harking terrible. back to our sledgehammer. But it harkens back to our sledgehammer TV obscura. Yeah. When sledgehammer dropped the ding dong, Avon's calling line. And I'm like, fuck yeah, Dude. Avon's calling again. Dude, how bad was that back in the day? Was that like like Avon people? Avon? Yeah, like fucking Jesus. If, if, if like I, everyone's making jokes about it, like how bad was it? I don't remember that as much as I remember Mary Kay cosmetic cards being oh. like pink. Oh, they still are. Remember those? That's still a thing. Oh, it is. Yes. Oh, you'll still it is? you you will still see Mary Kay cars. Yes. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Jeez. Well, Jesus. <laughs> that was disgusting and ridiculous. I'm gonna be a millionaire. I'm gonna. I, I mean, I own my own business. Yeah, and Corey can speak to this. That's what Lyft said to everybody. That's what Uber <laughs> yeah. said to everybody. Newsflash, they'll be you'll be their slave. Newsflash, you'll die. You'll spiral down into the darkest point of your entire life that you've ever had. But for everybody that's doing it, good luck to you. <laughs> Fucking good luck, men. <laughs> Carol Kravitz, good luck, men. <laughs> Here's a can of chip beef. Um, uh, guys and gals, go check out, check it out if you know if you don't know. What oh my god, about. TV Obscura, future TV Obscura, our favorite, our favorite check it out episode. Oh my god, we will we'll just quote the whole fucking thing the entire time like we did with Ford Fairlane. <laughs> Bro, we might have to record that when I go up to Oregon. Uh, just. Just do a fucking one-off. Or when I come down to visit you. Yeah, exactly. Word. And you just spend the night. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. They show up at Orville's grave, and Alan reads, Orville Dunworth, 1929 to 1971. Jeff and Paul have the big trunk with them, and Alan instructs them to dig up the grave. Alan asks where Anya is, and Terry says she's back by the crypt. Jeff and Paul start digging the gra- digging up a grave. I'd be a little questionable about that. Cut to the grave being dug up. Alan walks over. Either they cut the scene or the scene was insignificant because Alan shows back up with Anya. The dirt is now dug up. The coffin is there. Remember what's inside it, guys. Before they open up the coffin, Jeff quips, hope he doesn't mind us dropping in like this. <laughs> they open up the grave. And the ghoul is inside the first ghoul who attacked the grave robbers lying in the coffin with the top hat with the top hat. They're all shocked. Jeff says, it looks like Dracula. Alan says, decomposition does strange things to people. Alan tells him to hold him up. Jeff says, do you want me to touch that thing? Alan says, he won't bite you. Jeff says, oh, I wouldn't bet on it. Alan just wants him to lift him up to the rim and says, Paul and I will haul him out. Jeff goes down to grab the ghoul, and suddenly the ghoul lurches alive and grabs Jeff by the neck, <laughs> screaming, and everyone else and everyone else is screaming. <laughs> I mean, I would be terrified if yes! that happened. That is a terrifying moment. That is a I need therapy for the rest of my life moment. I would have done the same thing Jeff did, which was pee my pants. And then punch the ghoul in the face multiple times. And if I wasn't uh, uh, Jeff, in Jeff's position, I would have done the same thing Paul did, which was immediately go into a karate stance. <laughs> <laughs> karate man. Karate. <laughs> so while this is going on, <laughs> the ghoul is choking Jeff. Terry is 
shocked and she's standing by other graves and the other second ghoul comes out of nowhere with this big cloak and he wraps it around her and he pulls her into the bushes she's freaking the fuck out too i would be terrified as well yeah (laughs) that's going on anya's looking on amazed and dazed jeff now is punching the ghoul in the face the ghoul starts whining and you realize that it's not a ghoul it's an actor and Alan's giggling the whole time. Val's watching from another grave. You see the ghoul ripping his makeup off, revealing that it's their friend Roy. Oh, he spits Roy. out his fake teeth. And Jeff goes, Roy? And Roy says, course I am, you crazy bitch. <laughs> Roy yells at Alan. He goes, Alan, this crazy man bloodied my nose. He talks just like that, by the way. I'm not putting on an affect. No, no. Zach's not. Yeah trying to make be funny or anything that's that is how he talks him and well in just a minute you'll meet the other one alan's giggling away and then you hear screaming from behind them and it's emerson the second ghoul running towards them with a very fanciful yelp like ah and he's being chased by paul suddenly they all realize that the second ghoul is not a ghoul he's their friend emerson and paul like gets upset and he's like look this isn't funny We're on the verge of a genuine tragedy here. Alan's giggling away. Everyone else is looking pissed and shocked. And this is when Jeff, who's now, who's still in the coffin, who's like sitting up on the grave, sitting down like where the grave's been dug. And he goes, I peed my pants. (laughs) I peed my pants. He he says like multiple times, I peed my pants. I peed my pants. (laughs) (laughs) And that's, that would be my exact response if I peed my pants in that scenario, which I would have, I would have peed my pants, and then I would have spent the rest, the next, like, 15 minutes repeating, I peed my pants. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like the most, it's the most true dialogue I've ever heard in a movie. <laughs> oh, it's fucking great. And then Paul, because he's a fucking genius, goes, you mean this was a gag? Duh. And Alan goes, no, these are two real goals. <laughs> they just had a change of heart, that's all. Emerson says, yeah, we're trying to go straight. (laughs) And you know what he means by that. They're both gay. Emerson and Roy are gay. And they even call themselves out later, too. And I just want to call out on IMDb. I just want to read this real quick. The 1990 guidebook, Uranium Worlds, colon, A Guide to Alternative Sexuality in Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror by Eric Garber and Lynn Paleo, lists children shouldn't play with dead things as one of the first horror movies to show positive though stereotyped gay male characters who also have an important role to play with the story and i was like okay that's really fucking cool actually it is really cool i don't think they're a stereotype because i've known gay guys like this you know i've had friends who acted just like i get it i get i don't think they're that over the top actually I, i mean Yeah, whether you want to call it a stereotype or not, we can tell that they, by their affectations and everything, that they're supposed to be gay, and and maybe the actors are gay. We we don't know that either way, one way or the other. But the nice thing is, no one one in the movie has a problem with them being gay. It's never about that, because they're clearly all friends. They know each other. And yes, these two guys have a story role in the movie and everything. So, I mean... That's awesome. I'm I think it's really fucking cool that Bob Clark did that. 
I totally agree too. I don't think it's I don't think it's like cliche or makes fun of them at all. I think it's they're just part of the acting troupe. Right. It's, and now they're pissed course, because they've been <laughs> Of course said by two straight men, so we don't, you know, technically, you know, True. but but at the same time, it's it's seems cool to me, you know. Yeah, it seems cool to me too. It, and I hope I hope people don't I I hope, I hope no one's offended by it. Yeah. Because Zach has to do the voices when he does when he does their lines. Yeah, yeah, because it's yeah. So it's funny because uh, while this is all going on, Roy is complaining that he, you know, his his face is all bloodied, which it is. Yeah. And Emerson's cleaning the blood off his face, and he's like, "Hush, darling, I'm putting you in for a purple heart." <laughs> and, and Anya's and, like putting the the makeup on her, like the mask on the herself, skin. and it yeah. looks like it looks like Leatherface's mask. And this is totally. Uh, what what year did we say? Um, Texas Chainsaw was like 77, 78. I mean, it was Chainsaw is seventy four, I think. Okay, but it's still, uh, this is before it's that. Before that, yeah. And obviously before Texas Chainsaw, yeah, Chainsaw was 74. Chainsaw 2 was what, like 86 or something like that? And that reminds me of Chainsaw 2 when um, What's-Her-Face, the radio DJ, puts Leatherface's skin on her on her face. Yeah, yeah. Almost like shot for shot. Yeah, very because, similar. because even Anya's like making like a, a, a frowny face as she puts it on. It's, it's very interesting. Again, Anya's yeah. kind of my favorite, I mean... I, I like everybody in this, but Anya is sort of my favorite actor to watch. Yeah. Yeah, me too. All the while this is going on, Jeff continues to say, I peed my pants. <laughs> yeah. I peed my pants. I mean, because it's the best dialogue. It's it's so it's so human. It's so accurate. You know, <laughs> it's so great. Paul says to Alan, you, you know, you got a weird sense of humor. Doi part two. <laughs> And Val's like, oh, come on, let's give the devil his due. Very good, Alan. She actually looks amused at this point. She tells Jeff to get out of the out of the grave, and he's saying again, I peed my pants. I peed my pants. And Val says, we all did. That was really masterful. Alan bows. Val asks how long this took to be put together. And Alan says, Emerson and Roy came out yesterday and set it up the day before. Val says, that was very impressive. Val asks Emerson how long his makeup took. And he goes, about three hours. And Roy says, mine took four because I'm the lead. And Emerson <laughs> Emerson says, that's because you're stupid enough to let yourself be buried in a filthy hole. Yeah, seriously, dude. <laughs> Paul, Paul, Paul asks how long he was in there. And Alan goes, oh, about an hour. You can last several hours. And Val says, only a truly sick mind could conceive such a plot. And Alan says, well, thank you. And Val says to Emerson and Roy, you gave the best performance of your entire careers. And Jeff's on the verge of tears again, saying, I peed my pants. And Val says, will you quit giving us the play-by-play of your flabby bladder? There's a quick cut to the gravekeeper, or the caretaker, tied up by a tree with his gag- with a gag in his mouth. Well, he's not tied up to the tree. He's laying next to a tree because yeah. he's able to get up later. Yeah, yeah. Poor, and poor next bastard. To that, poor bastard. And next to him is the dead body of Orville. Also, poor bastard. Yeah. Emerson says, my God, you should have seen the creature that we took out of that hole. I nearly fainted. He's really dead. Well, doy. Val says he's he was probably a dishwasher. Cut to Anya holding up Roy's mask at this point, like the Texas Chainsaw moment we talked about. And Val's kind of pissed. And she goes to she says to Alan, that's a far cry from robber barons, rapists and demons. There's a bunch of plumbers and panhandlers buried out here. 
pretty punk stuff to tempt Satan with. And Alan says, not quite so. I'm sure there are quite a few murderers and other assorted types that will please the master. Alan asks Emerson what time it is. 5 to 12. Alan says, oh, the witching hour. Wrong. Not. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. And then he says, we won't have long to wait. Alan asks Emerson what they did with Orville. Paul says, look, the joke is over. I'm taking her out of here. And Alan says, oh, well, have a good swim. And don't forget to drop your script off at the theater when you get back. Terry says, it's okay, Paul. It scared me. That's all. I'm all right now. Paul says, look, this has gone far enough, man. And Terry says, look, it's my job. I don't want to be fired. And Alan says, if I made her crawl in that coffin and spend the night with Orville, you wouldn't lift a finger to help if you thought it would cost you your job. And you know why? Because you're headed for the top. The new Brando actor stud, Bon Vivant. All men bow. You know what you are? You're a slab of meat I hired to dress my stage. And I like my sides of beef to hang quietly in the corner until I need them. So why don't you shut up? Paul, like, Paul looks fucking defeated at this point. He, yeah, he looks, he looks completely fucking deflated. He's just like, he's just like, and, it's, and Val says, and if anything, this is, this is just, you know, a commentary on capitalism and everything, you know? But again, it's a commentary on the acting world. Yeah. You will fucking do whatever you need to, especially back then you would, you would, you know, fillet who you needed to, yep. you would lay down who you needed to. It's all, look, it's, you've heard the stories. They're all true and, and they continue to be true. They just don't get talked about as much anymore. Yep. Sad, sad, but true. Welcome to the party, sad, pal. Sad, but true. <laughs> sad, but true. <laughs> Val says, of course they'll stay. They wouldn't miss a chance to see you square off with the devil or maybe eat a little crow when your performance gets a big yawn. Alan says, if we judge by past performance, I don't think I'll bore anybody. Okay. That's it. I think. And then she's like, what'd she say? Like, like you don't live in the past reviews or something like that. Exactly. And I love that. They're, they just like, they shoot like stuff back and forth, like dialogue back and forth. And sometimes Val wins, sometimes Alan wins. And yeah, it's, it's always a tete a tete, you know, is that yep. the right word phrase? Tete a tete. Yes. Yeah. A tete. And at this point, Val's like, do you think we can take it? basically asking the group if they're in, if they're going to do this or are they going to revolt, right? And everybody, Terry's like, I'm not too worried. And Val asks Jeffrey if he's down to do this act that Alan wants them all to do. And Jeff says, I don't care. Give him hell. Anybody got a dry pamper? <laughs> he, he peed his pants. He doesn't give a he, shit at this I point. I peed my pants. <laughs> I, peed my, I peed my pants. <laughs> and so Val asks Roy and Emerson, if they want to participate in Alan's little soiree. And Emerson says, as long as we don't have to dig him up. And Alan says, all right, it's time to go and drag Orville over here. Cut to Anya lying in Orville's coffin. <laughs> the rest of the actors gather around the coffin to look on Anya. Alan asks what she's doing, and she says, I'm gazing at the scroll of immortality. And he's like, well, when you get to the end of the chapter, can you get out of there? <laughs> get out of the hole and get the book and the mark. <laughs> yeah, but the- I love the fact that she said, like, the scroll of eternity, the scroll, like, whatever, a scroll of immortality. And he immediately improvs. And he's like, well, get to the end of that chapter. Why don't you get out of here, you know? <laughs> right. Again, I the dialogue, it. the dialogue, because 
guys and gals, the, there's the action picks up in the last 20 minutes of this movie. So this movie is it makes or breaks. It, it hinges on on the entertainment you know for an hour prior because the movie's only an hour and 27 minutes and and it's like it hinges on the dialogue and everything beforehand and all of that works because the dialogue is so quick is so sharp i mean fuck man i'm not gonna say it's like something you'd see on arrested development but it's it's better than something you see in a generic horror movie you know like it, it's fast it's that fast kind of dialogue that back and forth kind of dialogue that you know you love and, and we see nowadays like it, this feels very contemporary with the dialogue it's the honestly it's the clothes and the hair that that is screams 1972 not the di- not the dialogue this would be a nice double bill with Shaun of the Dead yeah because uh, you know like something that I could see this being influenced by Shaun of the Dead as well. Yeah. There's a lot of quipping back and forth in Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant, too. And and so I could, I'm could. i sure Edgar Wright was influenced by this. Oh, I'm, I'm sure all of the filmmakers we've discussed have seen this movie. Totally. Anya then says, you know, she's like, it's really nice in here. And Alan goes, great, we'll make it for a weekend sometime, all right? He tells her to get out of the coffin. He has Emerson and Roy bring Orville over. And Alan inspects him, and he goes, he's magnificent. Anya wonders what he's thinking. Roy and Emerson take Orville and drape him over his own gravestone cross. He's really stiff, which is really effective. Yeah. The, I, I don't know if they tied, like, a board to his back or something, but they may, he looks like he's not going anywhere. Yeah, the guy that plays Orville does a great fucking job. Uh, do you think he died by the bullet wound to his head? Is that what that hole is right here? Are we? Oh, make- yeah. yeah. I, for, for years, I thought that was a mole, but that makes sense that it's probably a bullet hole. Okay. Yeah. Or it's a mole. Yep. Alan gets into Orville's grave. The coffin has been closed now, and he takes a piece of chalk and he draws a pentagram on top of the coffin he draws a fantastic pentagram in one go without ever picking his chalk up and i was like first impressive. off impressive i was like yeah that was impressive and i was like i know that actor had to have practiced that because he of did course. it all in one go and it's it's like proportionally good like it's a good drawing and i was like yeah, yeah thumbs up yeah it's very impressive satan will he, be very happy with that satan will, yeah i mean honestly and i'm not gonna lie because i wrote most of his chant down uh and i interrupted the chant with describing what's going on in the scene but i'm like i hope i'm not invoking a demon into our home <laughs> because this is this tracks this is pretty fucking realistic to me anyways puts the candles he puts the candles down on every point of the pentagram black candles And he asks Anya for an envelope. Jeff asks what's in the envelope. And Alan says it's the dried blood of an unborn infant. And he giggles and he goes, but don't worry, no murder was committed. It's just that every summation demands a sovereign ingredient to a sacrifice. He gets out of the grave. He walks to the back of Orville, dribbles the dry blood over Orville, and instructs Jeff, Paul, Emerson, and Roy to grab shovels. He tells them to follow him and break the earth over the graves, basically shoveling basically shoveling a little bit of dirt out from every grave that they walk by, and he will anoint them as prescribed. As they walk off, he sprinkles the dry blood in basically all the holes. Holes. <laughs> holes. <laughs> dry blood. <laughs> As they're doing this, you cut to Anya inspecting Orville's face, touching his face, looking mesmerized. 
Val and Terry are watching her and says, any second now, I expect to see her float off. Because she's an airhead. Right. Cut back to Paul, who's digging into a grave. Suddenly, he falls into the grave as he's digging. He freaks out. Alan inspects the body, and he goes, God, it's beautiful. Paul says, it's fine. It's just a, a, a root broke it open. And Alan says, this is a sign. They will rise. This is a sign. Paul says, bull, a root undermined the coffin. That's all. Alan says, no, it's a sign. And he like gets super excited. He's like, this is, it's going to happen, right? You do a close-up shot of the zombie, this particular zombie. His skin is so tight and dried off that the, uh, the skin around his lips is gone. Like it's, you just see his teeth like, uh, like the character from They Live, yeah. like the alien from They Live. Yeah. He's got his hands over his body with a big ring. This will come back into play. It's a very creepy-looking zombie. My favorite zombie is the one with the mustache, the mutton chops, the old one. Oh, yeah. I like the soldier, too. Yeah, he's good. Yeah. Yeah. They go back to Orville's grave, and Jeff asks what happened back there, and Alan says, oh, never mind. He gets back into the grave on top of Orville's coffin. The candles are still lit on the pentagram. Anya gives him the book. He instructs everyone to kneel down around the grave and to clasp their hands together in an inverted prayer. When they did that, I'm like, this is the church. This is the steeple. Open it up. Here come the people. It's that kind of thing. Yeah, I can't. I can't do it. I'm trying to do it now. <laughs> he asks them to open their minds, remove all doubt, but be on your guard. Let nothing take hold of you. Let nothing into your body. Open your mind, Quaid. Ooh. Cutting to Anya's face, looking psychotic. Alan says, "From this time on, you must be silent." And he starts chanting from the book, "Oh, great diviner." Master Lord of the Netherworld, Lord of Night, Prince of Darkness, Despoiler of Light, Diviner of Powers, Redeemer of Passion, Crucible of Flesh. There's a quick cut of Orville draped over the gravestone, cut back to Alan saying, By the blood incarnate, by the flesh made proud, by the soul devourer of itself, by these words we do implore, by these deeds we do supplicate, and call upon the grace of the Lord Almighty of the underworld. Cuts, camera cuts to all of the faces of the children looking nervously. Alan continues, Release the souls of thy servants who lie here unredeemed. Release them to serve thy servant, bending their wills always to his, thus to thine own. The camera pans all across the graves of the gravestones. Alan continues, By the blood of the babes, unborn by the inversion of the Savior, by the bond of thy own hand, we do entreat thee, deliver them upon us, to command in thy name, to serve our will thine own, by Lucifer, Beelzebub, Mephistopheles, Archanes, and all the underlords, we do entreat, let them rise, let them rise up, spirits Aquitania, Solvetia, let them rise. Let them rise up, Satan, God of all. The music intensifies. Suddenly, when Alan stops, you can hear nothing but crickets chirping. And then Jeff says, they must be at the lunch. <laughs> and everyone giggles. <laughs> and Alan just tells him to shut up. <laughs> I love Val. Can I, can I do Val's line here? Of course. She goes, your summonation is a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> she goes, it takes an artist to deal with the devil. 
Oh my god. It's a Alan bummer. <laughs> so fucking funny. And Alan's pissed. He's pissed. And he's looking at Orville and he says, You're nothing but a cheap plastic fraud, Satan. You phony. You liar. You sorry sot. I paid my money and I expect my merchandise. You cretinous clown. You don't have any power. Everyone looks amused while Alan looks pissed and he continues. He goes, Cheap chiseling con artist. Two bit penny any potion peddler. Val says, you lose, Alan. You lose. Looking down on him in his grave. And that's when she says, your summation's a bummer, right? She goes, a silly little ghost story. You should have stuck to the clown act. It suits your talent. And your vilification of Satan is rice pudding. Soggy oatmeal. Stale goods, Alan. Like all your creative efforts. You're a clerk, Alan. A bookkeeper. You better accept that, and you know why? Because it takes an artist to deal with the devil, not an insurance man with delusions of grandeur. Get out of the grave. Let an artist show you how to call a curse down on Satan. Dude, I, I mean, so Fucking like, awesome, dude. Yeah, she, I mean, she fucking... Val just owns Alan. Most, like, 90% of the time, she fucking owns him. And, and then this is when I was like... So if she's a paid employee, why would Alan put up with her? You know what I mean? Like that was just, and I was wondering, I was like, maybe it's like her and Alan's troop sort of like, she's almost like the second in command. I, I don't, you know, I get that. She's been with Alan since day one. Yeah. And, and she's, and she's supposed to be the, the seasoned actor of the, the seasoned actor of the group. That's what I get. Yeah. Like she's the old pro. But, I mean, she, who's she, been with Alan and seen his shtick and it's going nowhere. But she's a desperate actor, so she's going to do what she needs to do. And she needs the paycheck. And I'm sure Alan, I'm sure she's good enough for Alan to want to keep around and everything, you know. But right. But you're you're going to I know you're going to walk us through it, but she's about to crush it with hers. She does. I, I, I mean, do you want me to read the whole thing? Or uh, just, you, like, of course, if you want to, if you got it, okay. read it, baby. If you got it, you got it. You got to do the 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 weird accents and stuff oh, that I she will. does at the end. I will. I will. So she hops in the grave, and she puts her veil over her head, and very dramatically, she goes, "Hail, Satanic Majesty! Hail, Mighty Master of Evil!" Tormentor of lost souls, paragon of perfidy, antichrist, vilest of the vile, pander supreme, hail. That's when you hear the thunder rumble. Suddenly we're getting somewhere and Val says, so what's with this little thing we're asking, huh? <laughs> Suddenly she goes into like this gypsy kind of voice. Yeah, and that, that's why ri- I wrote down, I was like, is Val a gypsy? Like, like I didn't quite understand what this yeah, was, but okay. I, I think she's she's kind of doing the gypsy, the gypsy chant thing. Yeah, um, yeah. And she goes, a few rotting corpses is to serve our meager needs. So what's the trouble, huh? You got the blood you were asking for, right? You got Orville. You got the warlock and its war chest, right? Is that a bargain, I ask? Suddenly she says, Satan, you tweaker of puppy dog tails, you bilious bag of bombast, you poultry purveyor of potence, you half-witted helicon of horse manure, mighty master of evil. Ha! Your most terrifying trick is growing warts on old ladies' noses, scaring scarecrows, snitching buttons, 
ingrown toenails, corns and chicken pox. She snaps her fingers. Val looks at Alan and says, that's your speed. <laughs> Everyone just giggles except for Anya, who looks terrified. Yeah. They all applaud and say how great she is. Actors. They're all feeling good because Alan's been shut down and suddenly Jeff looks at Alan and then looks down because Alan looks pissed. Alan looks at Val and he says, bravo, not bad. Val says, it's a, it's a tie game. And she giggles. And Alan says, not quite. I've got another ace in the hole. Or an ace out of the hole, I should say. He stands up and walks over to Orville, puts his arm around Orville, who's draped over the cross still. And he says, it's party time. It's the shank of the evening. My friend Orville and I are having a cocktails in ten minutes at my island cottage. Strictly informal. Val says, wait a minute, you can't do that. And Alan says, oh, but I can. It's Orville's coming out party. And he's been away for a long time. Orville's in the underground, you know. I'm sure he has many interesting things to tell us. Terry asks if Alan's really going to take Orville back to the cottage, and Alan says, But it's his party. It would be rude not to invite him. Terry says, We should show some respect for the dead. Alan says, Why? The dead are losers. If anybody has to earn respect, it's, it's the dead. Terry says, A man has a right to dignity even when he's dead. And I love how fucking Alan goes, Man is a machine that manufactures manure. I was like, exactly. Fuck yeah, <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, not wrong. Yep. Anya looks mesmerized, and she says, "We'll put him back." And she says, "We're not going to embarrass him, are we, Alan?" And Alan says, "Oh, not at all." Alan says, "More than likely, Orville will shame us all." Hmm. There, foreshadow. There's a lot of dialogue that foreshadows uh, in this movie. Alan instructs Jeff and Paul to carry Orville back Roman style, which is basically over their shoulders. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then Alan tells Roy and Emerson to get back to the digging. Oh, and to bring the caretaker back, too. <laughs> and the rest of... So Roy and Emerson stay behind to fill in the holes, and the rest of the gang go back to the cottage. Yeah, with Orville. Hey, everybody. Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. I'm John, and I'm the host of Action Action. Every week, I'm joined by James. hey And Dustin. Hello. And each week, we review, debate, and rank a different action movie. We're creating the ultimate list of action movies. From awful to awesome. So if you want to hear three more white guys with beards talk about action movies. And argue about where they belong on our list. And decide you hate us because we made fun of your favorite movie. Join us every Tuesday, and you can find us on your favorite podcatcher. And Steven Seagal mm. is a joke. <laughs> Hello, everybody. I'm Adam. I'm John. And every week, we are giving you a blast from our past. We are the podcast that brings you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, album reviews, top tens, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. So please join us every single week on the Blast From Our Past podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, however you listen to podcasts, you can find us, and we would love to have you take a trip with us to the land of nostalgia. And now, back to the show. 
Alan leads the group back to the cottage while Paul and Jeff have Orville over their shoulders, carrying him like a, again, like a big giant piece of wood. But it's funny because when they get into the cottage, Alan is kind of carrying Orville forward. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's kind of because it switches it up. But I do like how Alan, you know, kind of brings him in and then just drops Orville straight on his face. You know, and <laughs> the guy who plays you know Orville, obviously, he fall, but he falls out of, you know, frame. But he's, yeah. he maintains character as he's falling out of frame, you know? Right. And this is important to note, too. Um, throughout this next kind of sequence, you'll be cutting back to Roy and Emerson filling up grave holes and certain things happening. Yeah. Um, I'm, I forgot to mention, and this is very important. It's very important. As they were leaving the graveyard with Orville, the camera panned down to the body that Paul fell into. And you see the hands that are draped over the body start to move. Yep. And there's another time where you see, like, one of the gravestones has a little, like, an ornament on it, and it kind of shakes a little. So, yeah. That's coming up. Things are yeah. stirring. Yeah. So so now, remember, Roy and Emerson are back at the graveyard filling in the grave holes, and you see, yeah, the statue on top of one of the graves rattling back and forth. Cut back to... Alan dropping Orville in as they come in like straight down face down (laughs) yeah and Jeff says you know it's customary to carry the corpse over the threshold Alan Alan just giggles and says right Jeff is the comic relief of the movie technically he sure is and Val says looks like the honeymoon is over and Alan says you're wrong we're not even married yet Alan goes over and finds a piece of curtain and tells Jeff to stand up Orville he goes stand him Stand him, her, it, stand it up, Jeff. And Jeff and Paul pick up Orville and Alan drapes the curtain over Orville's head to look like a bride. Anya has flowers and she goes, it's a bouquet. Alan says, this is the bride to be. And he gives Jeff his book, like his uh, incantation book. His grimoire. His his grimoire. (laughs) Grimoire. (laughs) Grimoire. And so he wants to get married to Orville. And Alan says to Paul, you can be the best man, or should I say the best corpse? Hmm, foreshadow. Val says, 10 to 1, it's a shotgun wedding. (laughs) Alan starts planning. Out of nowhere, Alan wants to just do like a flash wedding, and Jeff... Jeff gets his moment to shine as the priest. Yeah, the, actually, I mean, everything Jeff says, I think is fucking hilarious right here. I'm I'm a Jeff fan this entire movie. It is funny. You're right. But he's definitely doing like a, like, I don't know, like a Jim Belushi or something. He's doing something. You know what I mean? He's doing some kind of comedy thing. Yeah, and it, it it it's it's all shticky. Yeah. You know, at the end, he's he basically says, you know, he tells Alan to repeat after him. I, Alan, take this body. And then Jeff goes, you deserve everything you get. <laughs> and everyone starts, laugh, everyone starts laughing. Jeff continues his marriage speech and now pronounces, he goes, I now pronounce you man and whatever the hell he is. Cut back to Roy and Emerson filling up the graves. The camera pans across the graveyard to one of the graves. Camera closes in on the dirt of one of the graves and you see the dirt start to kind of move and fall in yep it's so creepy to me i'm just like it's subtle there's no music 
It's grainy looking. This is everything I love about atmospheric horror films. I'm with you there 100%. Cut back to the cottage. Alan instructs Paul to get the party going. Jeff and Alan are laying next to Orville on the couch. Alan's Orville is between them. Paul doesn't want to be the entertainment for the night and looks bummed out. Alan starts making all these corpse jokes is like, you know, keep a stiff upper lip. <laughs> Anya and Terry don't look amused either. Alan continues to make a bunch of jokes about Orville for a really long time. Like he keeps going on and on about all these different stupid jokes. And Paul is looking more and more unhappy. Alan gets up and walks over to Paul and says, all right, pretty boy, do it. Paul says, I can't think of anything funny to say. Terry says, that's because it's not funny. It's disgusting. Alan looks pissed and he walks over to Terry, gets right in her face and says, disgusting? Do I disgust you, Miss Seducible Brownie? (laughs) And he pinches her. He says, but why? This is just good, clean fun. Check it out in your Girl Scout manual under things to do in the cemetery. Nice callback. Yeah, I was going to say, great callback to earlier. I love this. Paul says, wait a minute. And Alan says, sit down, meat. (laughs) You know, I don't think that Orville likes being called disgusting. I know that I don't like being called disgusting. Perhaps you shouldn't be working for someone so disgusting. I fucking love this scene that's about to come up. He snarls at her and he goes, maybe I could just release you from your contract under the disgusting clause. And also from my disgusting clause. And he touches her hand. And that's where I noted earlier that I like how the dialogue is smart. And, you know, like I said, the different versions of clause, yada, yada, yada. This is this is the line. That's I think it's awesome. I love that. I think it's really fucking cool. And what is about to happen again, I think is totally realistic. And it's sadistic, but it's probably pretty realistic for (laughs) sadistic fucking controlling directors. Yeah. Yep. Or Harvey Weinstein. Right. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Alan walks back to the couch and sits down next to Orville and says, well, guess we'll have to dig up a new ingenue. Cut back to Terry saying, no, I didn't mean to start anything. I'm sorry. Well, then why did you start something? I I like that dialogue, too, because it was very, very real world. You know, when Alan's like, well, then why did you start something? Right. Alan asks if Orville will get will forgive Terry. Alan acts like he's talking to Orville. He looks back at Terry and says, he will hear you. And he will see your brawless chest. Right. Terry starts walking over to Orville while Anya looks totally freaked out. And Terry says, I, I want to apologize, Orville. Cut to Anya looking out the window of the cottage into the darkness of the forest while Terry continues to apologize to Orville. And it's a very uh, dramatic, it's a, it's a very like, oh, this is so fucked up because he's basically making her act to a dead body. Yeah. Like apologize. Right. I, I, I think this is when Alan crosses a line personally. I I think like his character (laughs) is now (laughs) at this point. Now I think his character is kind of irredeemable, you know, type of thing. Cause it's kind of a dick move, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. So while this is going on, Anya's looking outside. Suddenly Alan, asks if Anya would care to join. And she finally slowly comes back to the group and saying, we shouldn't treat him like this. We shouldn't hurt or make fun of him. He won't like us if we do. He'll be angry. 
we should respect his beauty. There's great beauty in death. Cut to Alan looking at Anya disgusted and he says, no, Anya, that won't do. That won't do at all. (laughs) Alan continues to make Terry apologize to Orville. Cut back to Anya looking out the cottage window. Now you can hear thunder overhead. Cut back to Roy and Emerson filling in holes. Camera slowly pans through the cemetery, cutting back to Anya looking out the window. (laughs) Window. Out the the window. I'm keeping that one. (laughs) I'm I'm losing it, guys. I'm losing it. Alan's... Anya, Anya, Anya. Alan is messing with Terry. Finally, Anya just yells, Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Alan looks pissed and says, What did you say? Anya approaches and says, If we respect him, he'll respect us. He's trying to tell us. You can see it in his eyes. You can see it in his face. She looks maniacal and she's like, terrified and she's doing a lot of eyebrow acting like i said but there's also a lot of truth to what she's saying too oh yeah no no i don't get me wrong again like i said i think she might be my favorite character she's i i enjoy everything she's doing and i'm vibing with what she's saying what alan's about to do this to me like continues to cross the line yeah no i mean (laughs) alan's the fucking worst man yeah he goes this is clay this is clay. And he starts touching Orville's face. He goes, it's like primitive hot clay pieces stuck together with splits of bone. He leans over to Orville and says, that's all you are, Orville, old buddy. Clay. Mud. Anya tells him to stop. Anya tells him to stop and starts getting super upset. And she starts screaming. And Alan says, I'll do what I want with him. He's mine. I'm going to take you home with me, Orville. And I'm going to prop you up in my living room. And when your friends come to call, I'm going to say, here's my good friend, Orville. Anya is continuing to yell at him to stop it, stop it. Alan says, and when you finally fall apart, I'm going to take your scraps and feed them to my dog. How about that, Anya? Am I showing off respect for the dead? And when he's nothing but bones, I'm going to take him all apart and use him for bookends. He stands up and rushes towards Anya, taunting her and says, or maybe a soup ladle or a mobile. (laughs) Anything that comes to mind. And Anya's just like having a meltdown. He's such a dick. He's being such a fuck fucking dick man yeah he and he's like i'm gonna get a big kick out of it i'll tell you what i'll take all the bones and i'll paint them and i'll use them for christmas decorations and i'll start singing deck the halls with bones of ivory la 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 and then he swipes at anya's face like he wants like he he takes his blue robe that he's still wearing and he swipes her in the face like if he would have smacked her if he had his hand fully out. Yeah, it, yeah, I, I, that was like, yeah, I was like, oh fuck this guy, you know. Yeah. At that point, Anya's like full meltdown, terrified, crying. She's being comforted, and he goes, he goes, I'm gonna take Orville upstairs to bed. Anya goes to Orville and says, we, we'll make up for this. He doesn't understand, but I do now. Oh, God. And she starts freaking out. She's like, please forgive us. And the thunder starts rumbling. She's crying. She asks Orville if if they'll forgive them. And she's screaming, no, please, please. Paul and Terry grab her to comfort her while she's screaming to calm, calm her down. Paul says, we got to get her out of here. And he yells at Alan. He's like, get that thing out of here. And Anya says, don't touch it. It's evil. And then she looks at Alan. She goes, you're evil. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Alan's face looks p- 
pissed and he just walks off. He goes to grab Orville. Jeff helps him. Alan and Jeff bring Orville upstairs to the bedroom where he said the original caretaker was hung or hanged. Hanged. And they lay him on this bed, this mattress, and the thunder continues to rumble. And the thunder rolls. Jeff looks at Alan and says, you've gone too far this time. And Alan says, I don't give a damn what you think. Get out. Alan gets on the mattress next to Orville, like laying next to him, laying next to Orville, looking at him. Cut to Val and Jeff. Jeff walks up to Val and says, is she better? And Val says, I wouldn't say she's in the best of health. Jeff asks Anya if she's feeling better, and Anya looks totally freaked out. Yeah, she's like, I think at this point she's kind of like in shock because she's like not even like, she's not comatose, but she's not responsive either. Right. Paul and Jeff huddle up and say, we better get out of here. And Val's like, yeah, we need to get out now. It's not fucking time to go. Yeah. Cut to cut. Ex- exit stage left even. <laughs> oh, heavens, the Murgatroyd. Cut to, Alan in, cut to Alan in bed with Orville looking at him lovingly. And he says, and he whispers into Orville's ear. And he says, you're a great teacher, Orville, and a wonderful friend. And I think in time... We may get even closer. I mean, Alan at this point, I mean, he's, he's fucking lost it, man. He's completely gone, you know? Looney, t- Looney Tunes. Looney yep. Tunes, even. Cut back to Roy and Emerson. What the fuck are those guys doing? Roy, They're filling up graves. Roy looks like he's about to stop, and Emerson says, We still need to bury Mr. Hyde over there. Roy doesn't want to. He goes, I'm just asking you to bury it. They walk over to the corpse that had the no lips that started moving earlier Yeah, with the ring on its finger. They get down on their knees to close to the body. Roy's like, what are we going to do with it? Emerson says, just cover it with some dirt. But then Roy notices the ring on his hand. He goes, oh, look at this. And he's disgusted by the smell. And he goes, oh, they buried him without his right guard. (laughs) And then he goes to take the ring off and suddenly the eyes to the body open and the corpse roars to life. The the music intensifies. He grabs Roy by the neck and the music spikes. And this is when the, yeah, music starts going crazy. This is when it gets really crazy. Emerson freaks out and starts running away as he runs away. Suddenly another corpse out of nowhere appears and grabs Emerson bodies start rising out of the ground super fast like we went from zero to 60 in about three seconds yeah no so so this is again like we said an hour and 26 minutes is this movie 27 minutes somewhere around there this is a, literally at the exact hour mark this is when this starts happening and at this point from now until the end we're going to be sprinting and it's just going to be fucking chaos between now and then yep yeah so now zombies are popping out of the ground left and right the music is i wrote totally texas chainsaw massacre type stuff you know when like experimental like yeah like it's a guitar but you know the guy's running a drill across it or something like trying yeah. to make all these weird sounds and you know what like you know i'm not a big fan of that kind of shit but like it works here and it i kinda, love it. it yeah i love it man it, it creates this fucking atmosphere of eeriness and weirdness and you just know that Everything in the world is wrong right now, and that's because of the weird-ass music that that the the composer does. 
and I'm realizing too, this is before Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. And that that music, this music is very similar. Yeah. Again, I think Toby Hooper perhaps heard these music cues and was influenced. Yeah, I mean, you, you don't know if it's if it's that or if it's the zeitgeist of the time or whatnot, but I, I say there's there's a lot of similarities between this and Texas Chainsaw Massacre that you wouldn't notice like on first blush. But like you know, you watch it and you start piecing things together, and you're like, I can I can see where this led to that type of thing. Totally, and and now we are in like full serious mode. Oh yeah, yeah. Tonally, the movie kind of shifts, but yet stays. Like it keeps one foot in the tone that that the hour came previously. Like it keeps one foot there, but now it sticks another foot into just straight horror. There's nothing funny about the zombies in this movie. And that, and that I think ultimately is what works is that the, you know, the humor and stuff and what, what, you know, is funny here and the characters and things we like, that's great and all, but none of that is applicable to the zombies. Once they rise up, they are doing their own thing and there's no humor to it whatsoever. Whatsoever. So, so now Roy's being attacked by one zombie. Emerson's being attacked by another zombie. You remember the caretaker? Remember him? <laughs> remember that guy? He's still down by a tree. Poor fucking bastard. Poor guy. He's freaked out. He's freaking out. You see like this all these different zombies rising out of the grave. They all look like different from all different walks of life. One of them looks like a soldier, female bride, uh, awesome guy with the mutton chops. He's my favorite. But yeah, the, I I like that you can instantly dis- see like tell one zombie from another. So cool. They're all distinctly different, and they all look really fucking cool. Yeah, yeah. Suddenly, the caretaker tries to get up and get away from the tree, but he gets attacked by zombies immediately. It's too late. They grab him, start ripping him apart. Cut back to Emerson on the ground, and he's dead, too. I love how Emerson's kind of contorted. Half of his body is in the grave, and the other half is not. And yet, all the humor's gone at this point, but at the same time... The zombies aren't as slow as, you know, um, Night of the Living Dead, Ramiro zombies, but they're not as fast as the Zack Snyder, Dawn of the Dead remake zombies. They're like kind of in between, you know? Actually, this is my favorite pace of zombies. Yeah, yeah. They're like, they're, they're, they've got enough animation in them to move pretty briskly. Yeah. But, you know, but not too fast. That's brisk, baby. Cut back to the cottage. Oh, yeah, there's stuff going on in the cottage. Val goes to the bedroom to check on Alan upstairs. Alan's still messing with her. Alan rises Orville up and says, Alan's not here. May I help you? Pretending to be Orville. Like a piece of shit. Yep. And he goes, I've only just begun. Val says, we're leaving. And Alan says, oh, that's interesting. How are you going? Val says, we're taking the boat, Alan. And then Alan says, huh? Claiming victory. Mm Mm-hmm. And he threatens Val with losing her job. And Val says, it won't work, Alan. Not this time. You lose. And she storms off. And Alan looks at Orville and says, Orville still loves me. Cut to the gang minus Alan starting to exit the cottage. They ask if Alan's coming. And Val says, I didn't ask him. As they're walking out of the cottage, they stop to look out into the darkness of the forest. And they hear a sound. Jeff asks what that sound is. Suddenly, out of nowhere, Roy bursts out of the forest, coming towards them, covered in blood. They ask him what happened. He says, they're coming, they're coming, and he runs into the cottage. 
Suddenly the camera turns, pans back to the forest, and you see 20, 30 zombies coming towards them. They start freaking out. And it kind of, this kind of reminds me of, again, this takes place later, so maybe he ripped it off, but George Romero's Day of the Dead, which is my favorite Romero movie, favorite Romero zombie movie. And I love at the beginning when, you know, at the very beginning scene, when when they're in the, they take the helicopter, they land, and he's like yelling, anyone there, you know? And you just hear yeah. the, 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 she's like, hold on, do you hear that? And you just hear the... Oh, the moans coming off in the distance. It just, it kind of reminded me of that. Like there's like a beat, and then like they're like you know they're outside. They don't see anything, but they're like, what is that? I can hear something. Like something's yeah. coming. You know, type of thing. It just it kind of reminded me of that. Which means maybe George Romero, Day of the Dead, kind of aped this a little bit. You know, who knows? But I like that. I like this scene. I like that momentary beat before the zombies emerge because they know something's fucking coming. Totally, totally. Yeah, this horde comes towards them and starts overtaking them. They're pushing the zombies back. Alan appears at the doorway, sees the horde, goes back into the cottage. All of the actors go back in the cottage and close the door. The zombies are banging on the door. The The door has an old school, one of those like wooden kind of crank locks. Like it's a piece of wood that sl- slips in between a couple other pieces of wood. Yeah, yeah. Like right? a, yeah. Like a like a latch, basically, uh, a, like a turning latch. Anyways, Terry's freaking out. Paul and Jeff cover the door with a board. They find a hammer and nails, cut the zombies outside, banging on the door. They do a good job again with a very minimal budget. You know, they're they're nailing in the boards on the wall on the door. Um, it, it looks realistic enough to me. Yeah, like, it, I don't have any problem with this. Yeah, and this doesn't take like 20 minutes like you know night of the living dead remake or something like this is like i mean first off we only have like like 20 minutes maybe even 17 minutes left in the movie this goes by so fast exactly it really does the group's huddled inside they're trying to be quiet terry says god i swear to god it's from the graveyard that thing jeff says that's ridiculous terry says it is i swear it is they all start freaking out and val calmly says wait a minute Alan, is this a joke? Camera pans over to Alan, who looks down at Roy, who's on the couch, bloodied. I don't know if he's dead yet, but he's close to being dead. Yeah, yeah. And then suddenly, what was the kitchen, but is now the back entrance. Yeah, I, did, I didn't even fucking put that together the first time. You're right. <laughs> it, it, the doors that are covered in drapes burst open, and the zombies are there banging on it. Uh, and Paul and Jeff and Alan run up to push the zombies back. Val runs up too to hold the zombies off while Jeff and Alan grab a, a door, uh, and like an extra door in the, uh, like a closet door and off its hinges, bring it over to cover up the, the rear entrance and, and hammer that in to barricade themselves in. Everyone's freaking out. Finally, the pounding from all the zombies just stops. It's a super quiet, and the camera pans through the cottage. And I like that. I like the zombies like, well, we can't get in, so we're going to conserve our energy, you know? Yeah, I yeah, I love this. Paul looks out the window and sees that the zombies are just standing there and even says that. He's like, they're just standing there. <clears throat> they check all the entrances and see that there's zombies all around the cottage. My favorite shot is when Val takes the flashlight and looks through the back door 
and kind of pans the flashlight around and you see those, you know, like three zombies standing there kind of like snarling or whatever. It's just, it's great because it's, it's all realistically shot. So there is, it's not like a big budget movie where, you know, they have giant tungsten lights out in the woods, lighting it up, you know, you guys know those shots in movies at night in the woods. There's no lights there. Like, you know what I mean? But, like, I love this. This is just literally the camera and, you know, the flashlight. And the flashlight is the light, you know, that the camera's using. Yeah, it, it's realistic. Exactly. Because it's real. <laughs> and so a lot of times with these low-budget films, you know, it might not look as good, but it's more realistic. And, and that's what I fucking like. And again, I'll I'm going to say it again. Any day. I love the fact that this fucking movie was not shot day for night. I love it. I love that you can only see so much because, again, that's realistic. I love it. I'll take it any time. They look at Roy. He, again, looks like he's about to die or he is already dead. Terry's crying. Jeff says they must have gotten Emerson, too. Alan says, what are we going to do? Suddenly, Alan's with the group, right? Paul runs upstairs when he hears a sound and sees an entrance, sees one of the um, like a window to one of the bedrooms and a zombie's trying to get in. He just pushes the zombie off the, out of the window, falls off the ledge and they close the door to that bedroom and lock it. And it was my mutton chop zombie. <laughs> it was your, yeah, it was your mutton chops. And he's, you know, on the dead, uh, he's, he's on the ground smushed and they check all the other bedrooms. They're okay. And it, I like the fact that we don't spend, you know, again, this is, sort of the opposite of night of the living dead and night of the living dead remake. We don't spend that much time fortifying the house and, and getting it ready. It, it's, it's, it's almost the opposite of that. We, they fortified a little bit, but it, it kind of goes to shit pretty quickly. Yeah. Because Val says they can't get upstairs. It's too high, even though there was a zombie up there already. So, you know, whatever. Um, Jeff asks, what are they going to do? Val says, I think it's obvious Somebody's got to get to the boat and bring help. We're trapped in here, but it won't be long before they get in. And Jeff asks about the gun. Paul says, well, we left it back at the graveyard in the trunk. God damn it. <laughs> it's got bastards. God damn it. <laughs> Jeff says, well, they seem pretty slow. Why don't we try and run for it? Val says, there's too many of them. I mean, this is nowadays. This shit's cliche. Yeah. Guys, 1972. Possibly only the main, the like, only the second, second or third. Who, who the fuck knows? After you know, but, Night of Living yeah, Dead. Yeah, but yeah, not a lot of other fucking zombie movies have come since then. And right. this movie, it's building off what it's already learned from Night of the Living Dead, and then it's kind of making its own thing. This yeah. is the groundwork for the movies that we see today. Totally, they're kind of discussing what the plan should be. Val says, we don't know how many more of them are outside. Paul says, look, if you can get out front, I can slip out the back. Terry's pleading with him not to. And Val says, it's probably the only way. Terry's like, don't look at these perky titties. Don't do it. (laughs) Don't leave me, baby. baby. And Paul says, Paul says, you're going to have to go out the front and fight them off and distract them. Basic and distract them basically while I go out the back and run away. (laughs) Wrong. Wrong. <laughs> Val says it'll work. It'll work. And they cut to Alan looking worried. And I like how at this point there's no more jokes. Like Alan no. and Val aren't really like going back nope. and forth. Like that's all done. That's all in the past because shit has gotten real. Right. 
Val says, we'll distract them as best as we can. They clear the door ready to open. They clear the front door ready to open it. They all have weapons in their hands. Even Alan has got a weapon in his hand. He's got like a hammer or something. You know what Terry and fucking has? A flashlight. And she does she's absolutely got a flashlight. fucking nothing. So she can shine it in their face, blind them. She's blinding the zombies. Blinded by the light. Val asks if they're ready. Val, Jeff, Alan, and Terry run out front with weapons in their hands, pushing away the zombies. Terry just stands there with her fucking light looking terrified. I mean, it's understandable. Just just shining it on different zombies as she's screaming while everyone else is fucking working. I mean, it's understandable, too. I would probably I I wouldn't I wouldn't be terrified, but I know some people that would be. (laughs) Suddenly, one zombie approaches Val and Val stabs it with a knife. It's kind of a cool shot. Paul opens up the back door, runs off. Gang runs back inside and closes the door after Paul takes off. Zombies are pounding on the front door. Suddenly they hear a big scream and crying from the back entrance. Terry looks terrified. Jeff and Val run to the back. They look out into the darkness and they hear a weird growling, snarling sound. They use the flashlight into the darkness to see, to check to see what they can see. And they see the camera pans over to Paul being devoured by a female zombie on his back. He did not make it far. I fucking like lo- dude. 10 feet. Yeah, dude. I love that, man. I love the fact that, like, you think he's going to be the hero. I'm going to save the day, and he doesn't. And that feels like – it feels like a modern concept. It feels like something that we would see today where it's like we build this character up to be the hero. We saw it in a movie. The only one that's coming to my head is is Feast um, was a great example of this where they kind of at the beginning of the movie built up this guy as the hero and, and in a sort of in a funny way and then he fucking dies like horribly and it's like okay it kind of spins your expectations but I feel like that this is sort of a modern thing and they're doing it back in 1972 like yeah he didn't he made it like fucking 10 yards like that's it like he didn't that's fucking it. make it you know that's it and his girlfriend Terry is freaking out and right after that a zombie comes out of nowhere grabs her pulls her into the darkness and she's dead into the darkness as she's it's really creepy yeah that was cool but i do think that that was a bit of an homage to barbara and the original night of the living dead sort of you know getting pulled out but like yeah dude like i liked it because she was like she sees paul and then she's still in the doorway, but so she turns around to kind of like look away. And but there's still zombies there, so they just fucking grab her and take her out screaming. And then, you know, again, it's the same thing where I expected Paul and Terry to be the survivors of this movie, and they're the first, nah, not the first to go. Roy and Emerson are the first to go, but uh, the first of the main characters. The to main go. characters, yeah. Yeah, they're, 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 that's kind of the most shocking thing where you're like, oh, my God, they just took those two out? Yeah. Because Jeff tries to grab her, but it's too late. She's already been pulled into the darkness. Yeah, I, and, and at this point, I'm I'm on the edge of my seat on my first viewing because Dude. I don't know what the fuck's coming next. Awesome. They, they close the door to barricade themselves back in, cut to Alan sitting with Anya while she's freaking out, and he's saying, and Alan's saying, this can't, this can't happen. And Val says... It is happening. Don't just sit there whining, sickening pervert. It is happening. You did it. You did it. You got to get us out of this. Jeff calms her down and says, listen to me. There's got to be a way out. Maybe Alan can get us out of here. He points at the book. There's got to be something in this book to send them back. I call it the Necronomicon. <laughs> You're not wrong, you know. 
right? And he's got to, and Jeff's like, Jeff goes, there's got to be a counterspell. And Alan holds the book up and says, counterspell, counterspell. He brings the book over to the fireplace and he says, recitation for the dead, recitation for the dead. He's looking through the pages and he goes, return the blood to the fire. He continues to shuffle through the pages and he holds up a page of the book that is like folded up and he throws it into the fireplace. Cut back to Val looking out the window. She sees the zombies moving away from the cottage and she goes, there's something happening. Keep it up. Keep doing what you're doing. And Alan says, return the ceremonial corpse to the grave. And he goes, God, God, we can't do that. Right. And I like, how, I like how Val is like, just keep reading. Like it's, yeah, she, it may still work, you know? Yeah, she goes, just read the words as they're written. Alan continues. He goes, the, in the prescribed manner of these things, prince of darkness, brethren of hell, master of the fiery pit, hear the prayers of thy servants. We who have transgressed against thy might be and grant us pardon, grant us leave, release us from the vengeance, accept our vow that we shall nevermore transgress against thy awful might and ye of the grave whose rest we have defiled. Sleepers in the internal night, obey the will of Lucifer, of Demigorgon, of all the lords of hell. If they should hear us our plea and grant us pardon, grant us leave, seek not our deaths, seek not our souls, obey the will of Lucifer, obey the wheel of hell, return and sleep and walk no more. I just wanted to fucking be like Rosemary's babies. Hail Satan! Hail Satan! Hail Satan! (laughs) (laughs) So suddenly, this seems to have worked. The incantation worked. The zombies appear to be walking away. Jeff, who's now excited, says they're gone. Alan says, wait, listen. Cut to the exteriors of the cottage and all you hear are crickets. And you see empty shots of where the zombies used to be. Is this where you see a cool shot of fucking Paul and Terry? You see Paul and Terry's dead bodies on the ground covered in blood. Yeah, Terry. Yeah. Oh, it's so good, man. It's so fucking good. Terry's just like, she's just, it's like a close up shot and she's like looking upwards, but she's just covered in blood. So you just know she's ripped apart. And this is, I love movies that I don't need to see her being ripped apart. I don't need to see that. My brain will fucking fill it in. You know, it's the Jaws scenario. It's what you don't see. I'll fill it in and it'll always be worse than what the the film, you know, the director can show me, you know, I love that shit. I mean, Romero took it to the next awesome degree with, with night, uh, dawn and night or with dawn and day and, and got super gory, but this totally works for me. I'll take it anytime. I'll take it anytime. Me too. Val says, all right, we got to try. She's like very determined now. And she goes, don't take anything but a weapon. (laughs) Val and Jeff look at Roy's dead body on the couch Alan look. <laughs> they look at Roy's dead by there. Late. <laughs> yeah, Al- Alan. Alan looks at Val and, and says, "We can't help him." And and it's interesting because the zombies they don't bite you and kill and like bring you back. You know what I mean? No. It's not like it's an infection dead, type of thing. Kind of like that actually. Yeah, me me too. Because I think these zombies are demonic because they used a demon spell to bring them up. You know, like Evil Dead. Yep. It's this is more Evil Dead than Night of the Living Dead. Well, maybe uh, mm-hmm. our boy Sammy Raimi. Oh, <laughs> Sammy. This too. <laughs> Jeff, followed by Val, followed by Alan, holding on to Anya, walk out of the cottage. You see a cool overhead camera shot of them walking out. You hear birds hooting, crickets chirping. They look around cautiously as they don't see anything. They're getting closer to the boat and further away from the cottage. 
Suddenly, out of nowhere, zombies roar to life, attacking Jeff and Val as they fight them off, but it's too late. Jeff and Val get overtaken and start getting eaten by the zombies. Yeah, I like the one... Well, yeah, Jeff gets like five, six zombies just tackling him. He's like, ah, ah, screaming as he's getting tackled. I like Val because one takes her left arm, one takes her right arm, so she's kind of like, you know, in a sort of cross pose. And then the, the that bride zombie that you've kind of seen just goes right for her fucking face. And it's, yes. it's not gory, but I can nope. fill in the blanks that she fucking ate her fucking face off. Yeah, you know that's what happened. Yep. Right? She went right for her nose <clears throat> first. <laughs> <laughs> At this point now, it's just down to Alan and Anya. And Anya's next to catatonic at this point. Yeah. So the two of them run back into the cottage, kind of backing up into the cottage, closing the door to the cottage. As soon as they close the door to the cottage, the door bursts <laughs> open. The zombies are like, fuck this. Yeah, this yeah, we ain't doing nothing. shit. And... They're backing away from the zombies, making their way slowly up the stairs to the second floor. This is my favorite moment in the movie. Yes. Hands down. Mine too. Alan makes his way. Alan's holding on to Anya. Anya's in front of him. He's kind of holding her like a shield, but he you kind of get the sense that maybe he's just holding her to protect her as they're making their way up the stairs. Suddenly, the zombies are getting closer. He takes Anya. And he pushes her at the zombies. And the zombies catch Anya. But instead of attacking her, all of them freeze, including Anya, who's now turned looking at Alan in shock as what as to what Alan just did. Yeah, because like they're they're kind of like bringing her down into their pile, but they're not like actively like, you know, eating her or attacking her at the moment. But they're all like looking at Alan and he's looking in horror and Anya's just looking back. Like you know she's gonna get ripped apart, but there's that beat, that moment where Alan and Anya's eyes are locked, and even the zombies are looking at Alan. Oh, yeah, like, all the zombies oh, too. Even the zombies are almost looking at him like, you asshole. You know what they I mean? They did. <laughs> you know? Which is what's so great about it. It's it totally breaks character. But it totally makes sense because it's a moment that maybe up until this point we haven't seen in a horror film where you're like, wow, the cell, the sole survivor at this point is the biggest piece of shit of them all. And that is so the opposite of of a lot of horror movies and everything. Um, you know, yeah, this is one of those movies where everyone's going to die, but you don't. This ex- ain't going to have a happy ending no. for humans. No, no. Yeah, no happy ending. But you do not expect the last person to. To be alive is the fucking the biggest piece of shit. That's just yeah. not how these things work. And that's nope. And that's what I like about this movie. Who, by the way, looks like Ryder Strong from uh, Boy Meets World. Okay. But then he was in Cabin Fever. Yep. No, I, I, yep, I can see that. But I mean, if, if Ryder Strong had a mustache and a goatee. Yeah, I, can I see think it. he did in Cabin Fever. I think he did in Cabin Fever. I saw that in the theater. I like that movie. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Wasn't bad. Anyways. So, yeah. So now. Alan, the biggest piece of shit, runs up the stairs into the bedroom where Orville was, closes the door. Another beautiful shot. He turns to look where Orville is, where Orville was laying down, and Orville is what? And Orville is sitting now on the bed. So, like, yeah, like you said, he was laying before, that obviously like a corpse. Now he's sitting there. And I love that. I, I love that he's not standing, ready to attack. He was just sitting there, which 
Because I think what's freaky about it is sitting is such a human thing because you're resting. You know what I mean? Like there's something human about that, which makes it freaky because he's technically a corpse, you know, and obviously he's been he's now at this point, he's reanimated. We know that. But just having him sitting there versus having him lying there and sitting up is different. It's it, it was yeah. it's the perfect choice to create like such an eerie visual because he's kind of like, you know, his arms are kind of in between his legs dangling as he's sitting there, you know, and then he looks up. It's great. And then and then fucking Alan throws a fucking hammer at him, like misses him by a mile. <laughs> well, so, yeah, so Orville approaches, but you don't see Orville approach. You just see his shadow a la Nosferatu yeah. or D- Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Yeah. It's like it's a it's really very cool German, shot. very German expressionism. Yeah, you see Orville's hands, his shadow of his hands approaching Alan. Alan throws his hammer like a little bitch, doesn't do anything to him, does nothing. It doesn't Orville, even hit him. Nope. Or- Orville slowly moves in and then attacks Alan, grabbing him, hugging, hugging Alan and pulling him to the ground. As Alan when screams he, like a fucking bitch. He screams like you would expect him to scream, which is great. The door suddenly is burst open by the rest of the zombies and they trample on top and dogpile Alan, most likely ripping him to shreds. And I'm sure he felt every moment of it. And and I love that it's it's so cool. The camera work is awesome because it goes slow mo too. Yeah, it's slow mo and like these these you know, these bodies are like piling on and I'm sure the actor's oh. not underneath, you know, but you get the yeah. sense that it is. But I love that it ends on that one last female kind of like looking at the camera. Oh, it's so cra- with creepy. Deranged eyes and everything. Yeah. Like zombies that kind of, there's so many different versions of zombies. And I like I like the Fulci zombie version where they're kind of walking around with their eyes closed and they're super slow. And I like the fast running Zack Snyder version, but this version is kind of like they're maniacs. Like they're kind of maniacal and maybe it's because he used Satan to bring them back. And so maybe they're demons or something like you said, evil dead aspect of it. But I like that. I like that this shot, the scene ends with that one wild eyed female zombie, like staring at the camera as she's like like crawling on top of the pile of people, you know. Me too. It's terrifying. And the and from there the scene fades out. And from there Lucio Fulci <laughs> ripped off at this point yeah, in those totally, last one minute. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. It's so fine. from here you cut back to the skyline of Miami from earlier in the beginning of the movie. And the quote children, I wrote, like the zombie children arrive on the dock, shuffling towards the boat. They pile onto the boat one by one, and then you realize that the boat is actually getting unhooked from the dock and is starting to drift off towards the mainland, a la, well, any zombie movie, but I'm thinking of zombies in specifically, you know, with that boat arriving. Yep, a la zombie! And what's great about this is the credits start to roll as the zombies shuffle onto the boat. When the credits are done rolling in green, that that sick neon green font, it says the end. The, The boat starts to move away from the dock and the movie fades to black. And that 
his children shouldn't play with dead things. Dude, dude, this was a movie that took me a little bit of time to sort of get into because it's so different than what we're used to. So different. Yeah, and and, and you know it 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 doesn't play by the same tropes that we're sort of used to by this point. So like the first viewing that I had, I was just like. I I love the last 20 minutes, you know, I thought that was Same. fucking amazing, but like, I was like, I'm just like, I wasn't sure how much I enjoyed the first part of it, but the, on my second viewing, you know, when I take the notes and really pay attention to it, I'm like, no, this was fun. Like it moves really quickly. And it's like I said, the, the dialogue is what really sort of keeps it going. And it's like sort of that fast paced, quick dialogue that you really enjoy and everything kind of keeps you on your toes and it's a really fast film when you sort of sit back and 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 think about it you know and i think it's fun i think this is a fun movie um it's not perfect there's a lot of gaffes to it um the pacing you know could be sort of hit or miss here and there but for for the most part i think that it does enough different and even in 2023, it does enough different from other zombie movies to stand out from the crowd. I, I'm going to say there is no other zombie movie like this one. No one has come close that I've seen to doing something as different as this zombie film. It's truly unique in sort of its setup and sort of how it sort of plays out. And its tone, you know, its tone is sort of comedic dark comedy for the first two thirds of it. And then it just goes dark. There's no comedy at the end. The last 27 minutes, there's no comedy, you know, like even our, our, our comic relief characters stop being funny, you know? And I like that. I like that, that the zombies are evil, you know, almost evil dead ish, but like they're, they're, they're just evil. And I like that. And they seem to have like some kind of mind, like mentality to them. It's different, man. This was, this was a, it's such a different fucking movie. Yeah. I've been wanting to bring it to our show for so long. And it was so, it was so great to revisit a movie from my childhood that I had fond, that I had fond memories of way back when that still holds up, you know, that today I look at and go, yeah, no, I, I happily watch this i could watch it several more times like i said i watched it three times in the past week and i enjoyed it all three times so i highly recommend to each and every one of you uh i'm sure you can find it for free on youtube perhaps or or some sort of stream i'm actually looking right now it's just i just wanted to throw out there um yeah it looks like you can rent it on amazon you can rent it on youtube so yeah, I don't I would think it's actually just... streaming. Uh, hold, hold on a second, free. Yeah, it's streaming on Plex. I don't know what Plex is. So, okay. guys and gals, however you can see this, I, I highly recommend you do. And even if you yeah. just pick up the Blu-ray, um, f- track it down. If you've never seen this and you're a fan of zombie movies, you have to see it. Like, like I, there's so much this influenced so much that came after it that you're not you're not you're not well versed in zombie movies if you have not seen children shouldn't play with dead things 
yeah, th- this will this will automatically boost you into the cool kids group, in my opinion. And so, yes, I am including Corey and I in the cool kids group because we've seen this, we've broken it down, we've treated this film uh, as as well as we could have treated it. So now, now you said you saw it when you were a kid. Did you rent it or did you see it like on HBO or No, it was on Creature Feature okay. Saturday. So it was just so. you saw it you saw it on Creature. Did they edit anything out of it or was it all- I d- not not that I remember at all. Okay. And and like I said the intro to you can find the thriller intro on YouTube. The Thriller TV 20 intro is on YouTube still and it has scenes from this with that nice. It's so freaky and I for years thought, oh, I must have just been freaked out by that. No, it's the last third of this film is freaky and intense and well worth the ride that takes you there. Yeah, it's it's I, I don't want to say it. it's not a slow burn because the movie's entertaining, no. like, you know, two thirds. It's a time capsule, though. It's a yeah. time capsule movie like like often some of our favorite films are. You can't yeah. I don't I don't want them to remake this movie. I want them to just Take elements of it and pay homage, but that's about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Alan's outfit alone is a time capsule. Agreed. <laughs> dude. But, th- dude, th- I'm glad we finally, you've been, like I said, you've been talking about this movie pretty much the entire time that we've been doing podcasting after dark. So I'm glad that we finally have this one under our belt. And I can say it's a good one. Like, will I? would I watch this over black christmas no probably not but will i watch this again absolutely will i show it to people yes this is this is one of those movies where you're like you want to see something different let's watch this one you know yep yeah you want to see something scary just 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 wait just give it a minute just give it a minute speaking of time capsules uh cartwright is is buttoned <laughs> up on the seinfeld tip but uh you got curb your enthusiasm you're doing over uh, over at cartwright yeah. yeah thanks buddy yeah adam and i are about halfway through curb your enthusiasm on the uh cartwright patreon page we are releasing uh once every few weeks we're doing like a top five like you know jerry seinfeld girlfriends top five you know elaine boyfriends and whatnot so we're having some fun post Seinfeld but we're pretty much digging into Curb Your Enthusiasm at this point and uh, it's my first time watching it um, it's Adam's like you know second time he's not as versed as well versed as Seinfeld but it's my very first time going through it and it's it's been an interesting ride to say the least <laughs> Zach have you, were you ever a Curb fan did you ever watch Curb Your Enthusiasm I've, I've only watched one or two episodes, okay. uh, but I know they're filming a new season right now. So, you know, just keep going strong. Good, good for Larry David. Yeah. Good. Keep, keep growing and showing just like $2 Leafy, buddy. Uh, let's see. We are about halfway through March at this point. So I know we're, I know we built up martial arts madness and all that kind of stuff, but, um, has there any, is there anything you want to plug that we haven't talked about yet already? Well, we just dropped our 100th episode, there you go. which is cheers to that. Uh, we covered Bloodsport. We had a very special guest that was not announced up until this point. Uh, former WWE wrestler, but full-time wrestler and actor Paul London. He's a really uh, awesome dude. He joined us on that episode. It's really entertaining. It it, it definitely uh, covers all the Bloodsport bases. 
We've got great interviews lined up for the rest of the month. We've got two more. We've got one from Cobra Kai, and we've got one who's worked with Jean-Claude Van Damme quite a bit. Uh, patrons know who that is. So if you're signed up to $2 Late Fees Patreon, you get exclusive uh, access to the upcoming guests as far as asking them questions and stuff like that. You'll we'll, we, we let you know ahead of time what's coming up. But we're stocked for... We're stacked for April. We're stacked for May. And uh, by the time of this recording, I think we're in, all the way recorded into June. So we, we've got a huge slate moving forward. And can I give a fucking shout out to all those people that signed up to both Podcasting After Dark and $2 Late Fee? I mean, for real. Th- Thank you, guys. There's so many of you all that, that support both shows. You guys fucking rock. Like, seriously, like, that's fucking awesome. Yeah, you know, it it blows my mind. Um that 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 you guys it doesn't blow my mind. I, I think our content speaks for itself, but thank you guys for sen- signing up, guys and gals. Seriously, you keep the you keep these podcast trains going yeah. for us. You keep the lights on at the $2 Lafey video store, you keep the lights on at the X-rated video store for sleazy <laughs> podcasting after dark. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. The, the you irony get the point. Is, the, the irony is that Pad's Patreon is probably less sleazy than the free feed. This is true. And <laughs> Pad's Patreon is less sleazy than $2 Late Feed's Patreon. Is, because Isn't that ironic? <laughs> some of the stories we tell on Tales from the Video Store on $2 Late Feed are a little... but they're entertaining um yeah so thank you guys yeah yeah thank you guys for the continued support and you know honestly uh you podcast podcasting costs money it's expensive so you know if you're able to do it if you're if you're able to do it you're able to help us out thank you if you're not and you're able to give us a five-star review on apple podcasts or five star on spotify that's great too however you can support us please do because or, uh, or tell it, your friends about us like you just you know spread the word type of thing spread, that's a free way to do it as well honestly yeah i've had some people reach out recently uh fans of the show and I'm like oh how did you hear about us and i said oh from my friend he told me to check you guys out so thank you guys for the continued support thank you for all the artists uh all the instagram people who comment the, the the three facebook people that comment uh <laughs> because facebook is terrible yeah fuck facebook. uh you know thank but thank you sincerely to everybody involved in keeping this show as keeping the show what it is and it'll continue to only get better i can reassure you that Corey and i are sitting on a stacks of movies right now we ain't going nowhere only <laughs> only gonna get better so yeah cheers to all y'all Thank you again for everything. Yeah, and this month on on The Carpenter Factor, uh, we are diving into Memoirs of an Invisible Man, and it might not be our favorite Carpenter movie. It's probably one of the bottom Carpenter movies, but we have an <laughs> You'll have ab- to listen to find out. You'll have to listen to find out. <laughs> but we have an absolute blast talking about it, and uh, thank you to everyone who supported The Carpenter Factor this entire time. We're we're about like a year and two months into it, and we will be going... The Carpenter Factor will be going till the end of this year, and then we will dive into another uh, auteur. You know, we have... Uh, obviously, we really are going to... You know, we really want to talk, dive into Don Coscarelli. We might insert like a shorter 
you know, auteur first, you know, like maybe a Jordan Peele or something, but we'll, we'll figure it out because we're having a blast. And honestly, man, I texted Zach today. Um, I, I kind of rewatched Mandalorian, uh, the new season, season three, episode one. And I texted Zach and I was like, holy shit. Like, I didn't realize Dean Cundy was the director, the DP director of photography for that episode. And it's because of our Carpenter Factor discussions that I even know or care about who Dean Cundy is. Now, Zach knew and cared about who Dean Cundy was before the Carpenter Factor. But for me personally, I have learned so much over this past year with this, this, yeah. you know, this whole thing we're doing. And Zach, it's, I, I thank you for that. You know, like Zach's been my fucking teacher for this entire four years that we've been doing podcasting after dark. And it's just like, I teach I, all my kids. <laughs> I just feel like I, I just know so much more, man. Like, I feel like Luke Skywalker. Like I just, I know so much now. I just, I want to go out into the world and, you know, do some good, you know, type ben. of thing. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you all for supporting us. Uh, Memoirs of an Invisible Man is a fun conversation. Trust me, you're not going to want to miss out on that one. <laughs> and as always, we'll catch you on the dog side. Ooh. <laughs> Be sure to subscribe to Podcasting After Dark and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Support Podcasting After Dark on Patreon. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Podcasting After Dark. And visit us next time for another installment of Podcasting After Dark with Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Imagine being one of the last people on Earth, being trapped alone with something not human. Something always watching. Something always waiting. What would you do? Where would you run? Where would you hide? If you were haunted for seven winters alone. Podcasting After Dark presents Seven Winters Alone. A dystopian haunted house story by David Irons. Available now in paperback and ebook.